At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hmm? Ah! Oh. Everybody, welcome to the podcast. I'm Jason. This is Westworldcast, episode 16. A year and a half later, <laughs> David's out of town this week, but he'll be back starting with the season three premiere next week. And I know he's excited to get back into it. But in the meantime, since it's been almost two years since Westworld season two and like three years since season one, I thought it would be a really good idea to do a catch up slash recap on Westworld so far. I think I needed it. I think you guys probably needed a lot of you. And so my friend Diana has graciously agreed to come on and help me out with that. So welcome to the podcast, Diana. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. And I agree with all of what you said. I I needed to do the rewatch. Yeah. You know, and I was planning on it anyway, but it, it's it's interesting how, you know, hey, well, I want a podcast on it really lights a fire under yeah. your butt. I don't know if I would have gotten to do it. <laughs> I don't think so. I might have gotten like a couple of episodes or maybe yeah. you watched the finale, but I don't I don't know if I would have made it through the whole thing, but I did. <laughs> I've been powering through. And it's, you know, I was sort of like, oh, Westworld. Uh, yeah, I remember that show kind of. It was hard to follow. I remember that, but what the hell happened? Like I barely remembered anything yeah. <laughs> and uh, rewatching it. I'm like, Oh, I'm so into it now. Like I'm ready for season three. Oh, it gosh, really yeah. made me uh, excited to get back into, you know, get new episodes and everything. Yeah. So this is, this has been really cool. Yeah. So before we get into it though, I want to mention Diana here is host of the aim for the head podcast, which is a walking dead slash horror pop culture podcast. And she also podcasts about Handmaid's Tale on one of our other podcasts, House Podcastica. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked on in our Facebook group who the big Westworld fans were, and you spoke up, and I'm like, oh, good, I'm gonna ask. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we're we're good. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the plan. Now I'm sort of modeling this on a recent Walking Dead cast episode I did with Lucy, where we did a, kind of a catch up on the season so far. And what we did was we would read a summary of an episode and then just say a few points about it and try not to go too deep because there's a lot to cover because we're going to do all 20 episodes so far of the series here. So that's what you guys have in store for you. And I thought we would take turns reading. You want to go? Why don't you go first? Okay. I will. Uh, So uh, starting right at the beginning with season one, episode one, the title of the episode is The Original. And the synopsis of the episode is Teddy and Dolores, two romantically linked android hosts of Theme Park Westworld, are attacked by the quote unquote man in black, a (laughs) mysterious park guest. When the hosts begin behaving strangely, head programmer Bernard, Bernard Lowe traces the problem to errors in park founder Dr. Ford's reverie code and requests the affected hosts be removed from service. 
Teresa Cullen, the park administrator, orders an attack on the town to be brought forward to help cover for the removal of all the affected hosts. Dolores's father, Peter, finds a photograph that a newcomer left behind, and he malfunctions. When Dr. Ford interrogates him, Peter quotes Shakespeare and vows revenge upon his creator. Peter is retired from service. Dolores is interrogated and found to be functioning normally. She is wiped and relives her day with a new father, but unknown to management, breaks her programming to casually kill a fly. Ominous. Um, Peter was so good in that scene, Peter Abernathy. Yeah. I don't know the actor's name, but I remember reading an interview with him and he was saying he was kind of figuring out for himself how a malfunctioning host would act. So I think he sort of got to be the one to set the tone for that. And I think he did a great job. Yeah. I remember um, I have, uh, in preparation, I've also re-listened to your original podcasts. And you and David at one point were discussing Peter, I think during season two, because some of that pops up again. And his, it, there was an article and, uh, with him and he said that he you know, he went through these pops and, you know, these noises to sort of work out how he wanted to sound. He thought that that was an important part of it was to have these sort of malfunctioning sounds too. And, um, and he just like tried everything at home and then went to the, (laughs) went to the, (laughs) to taping one day and they were like, yeah, it's great. Keep it. (laughs) Good. Yeah. (laughs) Do that. Do that. Uh, By the way, if it's not clear, this is going to be completely, totally spoilery for all of Westworld. (laughs) So if you, if you don't want to be spoiled, you should probably go watch it and come back. Okay. What, what stands out to you about the episode? Um, you know, I remember watching this episode and, you know, you get pulled into the whole, you know, the feeling of being in, you know, in a world that takes place in the West and all of that, because isn't that everybody's thing when they're growing up, everybody played cowboys and Indians and, you know, everybody wants to jump on a horse and, you know, ride away and shoot a gun and all that stuff. Uh, So that, you know, the, the starting off, like the tone, I thought that that, those are the things that really hit me in that first episode that they set it off with this great tone, wonderful photography, the music. Mm -hmm. I mean, right off the bat, Mm -hmm. the music since day one has always been wonderful, but uh, from that first episode, really, it's it's just that small thing that finding that photograph was enough for Peter Abernathy to sort of go off the rails. It really, it was such a great harbinger. We didn't know then, but for the future, <laughs> that you know, yeah. this one small thing really sort of you know took him out. Yeah. And rewatching it, you know, it was great to get it all in such a short period. So we know that that photograph is. William's soon to be wife, mm-hmm. Juliet is yes. her name, I think. Yes, yes. And yeah, and I and just seeing something, I guess, from the outside world just kind of fritzed his circuits a little bit. But then later on, um, I forget who, but somebody's uh, saying, you know, a, a handful of hosts have awakened over the course of the park's history and most of them just go insane, he said. And so that I think is what happened with Peter Abernathy. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, Dolores killing the fly is just, it's. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I mean, I love that it opens with a fly crawling across her eye, which is our podcast art, just because it's such a striking image and says so much about how they're different than us, you know? Yeah. No way anybody, any human being could do that. But yeah, when she killed the fly, that's sort of a harbinger of things to come that that she's that she's a liar because she said she could never hurt a fly and she hurt some other things later on (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i i agree the introduction of the world the beauty of it is just very they present in such an appealing way and the photography and the music have a lot to do with that 
Yeah. And then a lot of stuff happens that shows us we can't always trust what we're seeing. Like right off, you see Teddy in the train and it's implied that he's a guest of the park and it turns out he's a host. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's all right away. Okay. This is a show that fucks with you kind of thing. Yeah. They're going to subvert your expectations mm-hmm. right off the bat. Yeah. And the concept of loops comes in, which is repeated throughout the episode, just repeating the same thing over and over again. And that takes on a whole sort of metaphysical and psychological ramifications to it. And then also what struck me watching it again, because my last um, hit of the show was the season two finale where Doris was this murdering uh, rebel. (laughs) And here she's just a sweet little farm girl, wide eyed woman who chooses to see the beauty of the world and everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) What a difference. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing to know where Dolores ends up and like what her beginning was. What she started out as. Yeah. And a lot of them have a big change, but clearly hers is the biggest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's great to have a character go through that huge of a shift. Oh God. Yeah. Now, one other thing that I, I loved is that I never caught until this watch through is that Ford says, to he's talking to um, bernard but of course we've managed to slip evolution's leash now haven't we we can cure any disease keep even the weakest of us alive and you know one fine day perhaps we shall even resurrect the dead and that's the same episode also where Teresa colin insults the writer lee sizemore for being smart enough to know that the higher-ups of the park have something else in mind for westworld but not smart enough to figure out what it is so they've given us these two things in the very first episode the higher-ups have something else in mind and ford saying perhaps someday we shall even resurrect the dead that hints at the very you know as far as we've gotten in the show yeah i thought that was cool yeah that's awesome (laughs) okay number two is called chestnut Logan and William arrive at Westworld as guests, but William is reluctant to indulge, finally developing feelings for Dolores, though Bernard secretly questions Dolores. Now, this is Wikipedia synopsis, so I think they're given in a way that won't be a spoiler, but as we find out later, this is actually Arnold. But here it says, though Bernard secretly questions Dolores to make sure nobody has tampered with her, her contact with procuring Madam host Maeve results in her malfunction as well. Maeve is taken in for maintenance, but unexpectedly awakes and witnesses damaged hosts, including Teddy being cleaned. She's rendered unconscious and taken away before she can attract any attention. Dolores finds a pistol outside the house. The man in black abducts outlaw host Lawrence from his execution, demanding that he tell him the location of a maze. Lawrence's daughter gives the man in black his next clue after he kills her mother. Ford vetoes Sizemore's new narrative, calling it a cheap titillation that underestimates the guests. Ford shows Bernard, who is revealed to be involved with Teresa, his alternate narrative involving a church. Interesting. So what were your what were some things that really stuck out for you for Chestnut? Really seeing young William, Mm -hmm. he had such a affability and innocence about him and Mm -hmm. He chooses the white hat and then coming into contact with Angela played by Tallulah Riley, who's Elon Musk's ex-wife, which is neither here nor there, but (laughs) Um, she's just so beautiful and so appealing. She did such a great job of playing this fantasy woman, you know, just sexy and kind of alluring. And later on in the series, when she's turned into this killer, one of Dolores's posse, she, and she's about to kill this guy right before she blows up the, um, the cradle. Yeah. She's, she's like 
seducing him. I'm perfect, just as you built me to be sexy, but not threatening, accommodating, but not unchallenging, sweet, but not boring, smart, but not intimidating. Then she's like, do you know what my cornerstone is? Always leave them wanting more. And then she kills him. Um, But uh, I just thought that was really clever because she's talking about exactly the way she was when we first saw her here in this episode. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, from from the moment from the moment you meet her to the last moment you see her, she is her character. You know, even she might be woke, but she definitely was her character. She knows how to turn it on. Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> right. What else? Yeah. What, what got you? I liked um, it, this was the first time we saw a host waking up, Maeve waking up while they were sort of going through some maintenance there. And seeing things like sort of like the first instance of, you know, seeing behind the curtain and seeing the great wizard doing his thing, you know. So it was it was a night. I mean, knowing where things end up, it's just interesting to know, like on that very first that they did that so early on. You know, you would think they would sort of stretch that out. But I love how, you know, these guys, you know, it's uh, Lisa Joy and what's his name? Jonathan Nolan the creators that they don't, they don't really care about like how usual narratives go on television shows. Like other things would just like stretch that out and like have this be something like a, you know, for lack of a better word, a little chestnut at the end of the series. Oh, by the way, they're going to wake up and see things and see behind the curtain, but they start off it so that it builds because the build of, of Maeve knowing what's going on behind the curtain is, is one of the major parts of the season. So mm-hmm. that was, that's such a, an important thing for to happen so soon. So it was so striking in this episode too. I mean, it's, she's suddenly in a horror movie. She's yeah. naked. She's in this all glass area when she's used to the warm wood of Westworld. There's all these bloody bodies of her friends and people she knows piled up in the corner. And she's like, Oh, fuck what the fuck <laughs> so that was amazing yeah I, that that probably actually stood out for me even more than angela yeah it's it's funny too because you know even having like i said i didn't rewatch season one but reading through all of the you know the synopses etc it, it just furthers how i feel about certain for me personally my favorite storyline is the mave storyline and I'm sure I'm not alone there with a lot of other folks. I mean, and don't get me wrong, the Dolores storyline is enjoyable, but Maeve since day one has always been my favorite storyline. You know, so when you were like, what things stand out to you? I just like, yeah, the stuff with the man in black and Ford and whatever. And I love yeah. Anthony Hopkins, but just, just man, Tandy Newton is just so wonderful. So and, good. And the, her storyline from the beginning all the way to this, you know, season two finale is just, it's incredible. So She's the perfect actress for it. Oh, God, yeah. And uh, one thing I noticed, too, second time through, is Ford tells her, when uh, towards the end, when Ford is uh, kind of taking up residence inside Bernard's head, and he's able to sort of appear as a hologram or something toward to Maeve when she's laid up on the table and wounded, and he says, you were always my favorite one, mm-hmm. and he says that he gave her the directions and instructions to escape the park. So that sort of unequivocally settles that mystery of who gave her that 
Yeah. You know, she found out as she was escaping that the guy's like, no, there's somebody directed. No, I did it myself. And then he shows her on the tablet. But um, anyways, he says in that moment, that was a mistake. I should have just opened the door and let you. That's kind of what he does with the Del- Dolores. He more just sort of creates the conditions for her to make a choice. But for Maeve, he actually directed her and then she made a different choice. But anyway, yeah. I think it's interesting too. Uh, one of the things I've really loved about season two was I actually really liked the arc of Lee Sizemore. And, Me too. Yeah, and he he's another favorite. I mean, he's comic comic mm-hmm. relief for a lot of things, which on a show that's as <laughs> dark and depressing, <laughs> it, it kind of there's a lot a of humor. There's dark humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a comedy, but yeah, yeah. But it, it's it's interesting that this is you know in this episode that he gets sort of taken down a notch by Ford about his writing of the narrative, but knowing yeah in the end that him speaking one of his lines, you know, and doing a speech is pretty much what saves a whole group of you know hosts the speech yeah yeah i think it's in the very first episode that it gets uh cut off and he's all bummed out (laughs) and and yeah i love him because you know it's the writers writing this writer and the writers made the writer kind of petty and narcissistic and uh, shallow and (laughs) and i think that's them just sort of being kind of self-effacing but with a little wink to it but um yeah and then another thing in this episode i think lee says he's disdainful of ford and wanting to put all these human characteristic details into the host he's like that doesn't matter it's all about the adventurous storytelling and ford's like no no humans don't care about that they want (laughs) to feel like there's a real interaction and it turns out by the end that lee really falls for Maeve, not in a romantic way, but just cares about her so much. And it is because she's come to life and become a real person. And so it's all these, it's her being a real person. I think that caused them to have that connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It should be mentioned that this is where we learn about man in black's obsession with the maze. And Uh, that whole story was a little silly to me. Like he's looking for this maze because he's got it in his head that this is like the ultimate game that he hasn't figured out yet. And it turns out, no, this is just sort of a metaphor for the host achieving consciousness. And there was really no reason that Ford couldn't have just told him that early on to say, don't, don't worry about that, but they needed to fill out a story and for us to get to know the man in black's character. So, yeah. um, I mean, I guess knowing the way things end up, you could also say that, his dogged pursuit of this thing, this sort of existential thing says a lot about who he was True, as a person. He's seeking so, purpose all the time. Exactly. So it was less about the destination and more about his journey to get there as with him, you know, at all costs. But I still, you know, it, it's the only disappointment I had in season one that I felt like the whole like search for the maze thing was a little bit of a disappointment to me in the end. But everything mm-hmm. else is so over the top awesome that it's like it was such a, a small thing to sort of, you know. Yeah. And there at. was a lot of great scenes with that character, too. Yes. I thought. Yes, absolutely. So okay, moving on. Yeah. Number three. Uh, so episode three's title is The Stray. Uh, and the stop says, William drags Logan off on a bounty hunt. Dolores asks Teddy to teach her to shoot, but her programming progress- prevents her from firing a gun. Ford changes Teddy's backstory for his new narrative, in which the latter is pitted against outlaw host Wyatt. Ford also tells Bernard, who is revealed to have lost his son previously, about his old partner Arnold, who died in Westworld in an accident. 
Bernard is worried about the effect their conversations have had on Dolores, but she promises to keep quiet and follow her loop. Elsie, who secretly reports to Bernard, and Stubbs are sent to capture a stray host. They find him trapped in a ravine. When Stubbs tries to retrieve his head, he wakes up and attacks them before attacks them before smashing his own head in with a rock. At the homestead, Dolores is attacked by bandits, one of whom drags her into the barn to rape her. She steals his gun, but is unable to shoot him until she sees him as the man in black. Dolores begins remembering past lives she has lived. She remembers the encounter and dying due to a gut shot. She uses this information to avoid the wound and flees. After escaping, she stumbles into William and Logan's campsite and collapses into William's arms. Yeah. Yeah. So this episode, it was really, especially on second watch, you realize when you found out at the end that young William is actually man in black, that they were messing around with editing and different timelines that we're seeing 30 years ago and present day. But a lot since there's these loops and the hosts forget and they never age that they can take one scene and cut it right into the next. And it looks like they could go together, even though they're actually 30 years apart. Yeah. So like the gun, when she's confronting Rebus, who's Stephen Ogg mm-hmm. um, and then man in black, those are like 30 years apart. And so um, watching it through, uh, it's fun to try to figure out where she is in time. And I think once you really know the story, it's not too difficult to figure out. No. And what was, I wanted to make sure we mention that uh, in when you guys were talking during season two, towards the end of the season, uh, it was either you or David came across this uh, really uh, descriptive timeline that was on this website. I think it was Vox that had it and I went back and found it uh, and it is super, super helpful. And it's interesting to see how things fall on the timeline and how long ago certain things happened, you know, especially with young William and then other things that you thought were happening at the same time are actually plotted like almost 30 years in the future. And it's just like, so having that timeline is really helpful to sort of, situate Mm -hmm. some events in your head for sure yeah and and just i mean you guys listening might remember there were a series of conversations between dolores and arnold where he keeps asking her have you ever questioned the nature of your existence and well it looks like bernard but the Mm -hmm. ones where it's actually arnold the co-founder of the park are the ones where dolores is clothed because Mm -hmm. he has a lot of respect for her and you figure out that arnold he lost his son and that made him really depressed and that's when he really started paying a lot more attention to dolores and i think she was sort of a surrogate um child for him yeah and she he wanted he decided he wanted to bring her to full consciousness and so these talks are part of him trying to kind of coach her i think to to be a conscious person and then he realizes i'm just gonna sort of cover this story a little bit so it's clear that um they haven't actually opened the park yet at this point so the talks with between dolores and arnold are actually the earliest thing we're seeing yes and then he realizes that if she is does become conscious and they open the park that she's going to be in a living hell because she's going to realize what's being done to her so he comes up with this plan to upload this Wyatt character that they had been creating who's this evil uh killer and 
to merge that with Dolores so that she will kill all the hosts in the park and then kill him just to really drive home that it's not just these replaceable robots, but it's a real human. And he thinks that they will then close the park because of that. Well, what happens instead is Ford just decides to open the park anyway. <laughs> and he doesn't, he's against Arnold. He doesn't want to bring the, the hosts to consciousness kind of for the same reason he wants yeah. to open the park, but he doesn't want them to suffer. But anyway, he opens the park, but then it's it's failing. So then he gets a uh, buy-in from William and Logan's company, Delos. Yep. And that's really what, what kept the park going all this time. And then it's years later with Anthony Hopkins, you know, as Ford years later, he realizes he was wrong, that Arnold was right, that the hosts are they're worthy of being treated better than the, what they're getting treated in the park. So right. he creates this whole narrative of uh, it, he's going to bring them all to consciousness to the point where, I mean, he, uh, an interesting thing, I'm really getting ahead, but that's okay. But an interesting <laughs> thing that he said is that the thing that Arnold had wrong that Ford got right is that what would really bring them to consciousness if the, they spent a long time, suffering mm-hmm. so that they would have something to overcome and that so then that's kind of it culminated in that last episode where Dolores kills everybody <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of like the whole point of what Ford is doing over the course of the season I think yeah. and that's what the reveries were right those were his like yeah. he, he instituted that whole narrative was all about you know introducing this whole storyline for all of these all of the hosts so that they could you know eventually become more aware right Mm -hmm. they could remember remember indignities that they'd they'd suffered (laughs) which would uh motivate them to rise up basically yeah Yeah. interesting interesting i think in the stray this episode particularly the the thing that really stands out i mean you know is has got to be when elsie and Stubbs are going after that host and he yeah. literally drops this the rock on his head it it was just like I, I i remember being absolutely shocked that that happened you know it was it was amazing yeah yeah like, whoa what the hell yeah no kidding <laughs> i mean who would do that it's just such a and it's interesting because you know there's a lot of conversation about how human the hosts are and how they occasionally have moments that are non-human and this is definitely a non-human moment, mm-hmm. you know, cause I can't imagine anyone getting to the point where they're, you know, whatever's going on in their mind is so, you know, troubling that <laughs> dropping a rock on your head is really the way yeah. out. You know, it's, it's not something you hear about very often. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it happens occasionally. I'm, yeah. 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 There's always the one or two, but you know, it does, it's not in the news as way the way it usually is. yeah yeah they like they can let a fly crawl across their eye they can um change their personality in a split second like dolores can turn from farm girl when she's talking to her father to killer terminator yeah they seem a little crazy sometimes yeah (laughs) all right shall we move on yeah sure let's move on okay season one episode four dissonance theory Logan decides to finish the bounty hunt and mocks William for bringing Dolores along. They capture the fugitive, but Logan decides to have a better adventure by taking him to his boss. He was supposed to be a bounty that they were supposed to take to the good guys, but he says, my my boss will pay you more. Meanwhile, the man in black accompanied by Lawrence is hunting snakes and finds armistice with her snake tattoo. 
He breaks Hector out of prison for her, and she tells him that the tattoo represents all of her victims, who were Wyatt's men. The man in black and Lawrence leave for Wyatt, rescuing a tortured Teddy. Teresa takes over the investigation into the stray, not trusting Elsie and Bernard. She meets Ford about his new narrative, but he demands she not interfere, revealing his knowledge about her past and affair with Bernard Lowe. Maeve is having visions, and during... BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Hector and Armis's attack on the town. She finds a bullet in her unscarred belly with his assistance, proving that her visions are real. They kiss passionately as the sheriff's men open fire through the door. Okay, what about this one? Uh, such a great episode. I mean, the finding the bullet. I mean, it's it, it's like talk about the ultimate in sci-fi horror. You know, <laughs> I have no scar, but I have this bullet in my belly. How did this happen? Yeah, you know, gross. and it's. It's interesting how, um, you know, Ford put together these reveries and they're able to sort of see these past lives and, and feel their traumas and things like that. But they also need to be kind of triggered. So you're not going to just like yeah. remember there. So there's these little moments here and there that just like that will trigger you to, you know, remember more. And, and this was definitely one for Maeve, who is, you know, as the days go by, she's becoming more and more awake. And, it, and she's just such an amazing character. So, yeah. Yeah. And I love yeah, her. And I love her connection with Hector, too. They're a great. Match. I know. He's awesome. Yeah. And it kind of blew my mind when I realized <laughs> or remembered that he also played Paolo. Uh, Paolo and lost to Vicky and <laughs> Paolo the, fan. In the worst episode. A lot, <laughs> and I'm including the finale here. The worst episode Lost ever did were the Paolo and Nikki <laughs> ones. God, those poor actors. I felt so bad for them for the longest time. But I mean, he, he went on to other things. He was actually, he was in Love Actually as well. And he was in. Um, oh, right. That's right. And yeah. he was in one of the, not the first 300 movie. He was in the second one um i never saw either one i gotta see them i have a lot to say about nikki and paulo but i I don't want to get too off track (laughs) that's that's another crazy (laughs) thing for another day (laughs) but anyway the scene that really stuck out for me in this episode was when ford takes Teresa to that restaurant and they're sitting at the table and she's like i think i ate here before when i was a kid maybe at a nearby table and then realizes no it was this exact table and ford did that on purpose to show that he knows everything about me and he's just making little gestures and it's causing the host to freeze to sort of come off like he's god and freak her out basically to say stay out of my business and it, it <laughs> back off lady the way that yeah 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 <laughs> that was a cool scene yeah definitely that was a good one anything else from dissonance nah nah 
All right. So then next up, episode five, title is Contrapasso. And it says Hughes discovers that the stray has been transmitting information outside of the park to an unknown party reporting it to Bernard. The man in black kills Lawrence, whose blood he transfused into Teddy. They are then confronted by Ford, who assures the man in black that he will not stop the latter's efforts to find the maze, returning Teddy's full strength also. Dolores, William, and Logan travel to the town of Pariah, where they meet criminal gang leader El Lazo, a.k.a. Lawrence, who tasks them with stealing a wagon of high explosives from the Union Army, a mission they complete successfully. Dolores, who has been seeing visions of herself advising her to find the maze, realizes El Lazo intends to keep the explosives for himself rather than to sell them to the former Confederates who apprehend Logan while William and Dolores flee, joining El Lazo in the train. Maeve awakens in the control center and demands technician Felix chat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, Hugh discovers Hugh's, I mean, which that's Teresa, right? Discovers that the stray has been transmitting information out of the park. I feel like that whole plot is they've changed their idea of what it is over the course of the series, because they really, uh, when Charlotte tells Lee, you need to, um, store all this information in a host and send him in a train out of the park. Cause it's important that we save it. And, you know, it, it, we find out later that that's all this data on the guests, basically their souls, mm-hmm. but, but um, they changed it in, in season two to be actually what's in Abernathy. Who's the host that they choose. What's in his head is the encryption key that you need to be able to access the data in the forge, which are all these basically servers that, that carry the guests data. Right. Mm -hmm, Right. Um, so here, so I'm like, okay, maybe, um, Charlotte just kind of lied to Lee about it. She didn't say it was an encryption key. She said it was the actual data herself. You could sort of make that make sense. But now reading this where the stray has already been transmitting information outside of the park. What was, what was he transmitting? What was he, if he didn't have the key, was he transmitting parts of the key? I mean, I sh- shouldn't think too hard about it, but um, I, I feel was, like I always looked at it like he was a test. Like they were they were testing out whether or not some random person just picked out of the park could walk off their loop somewhere and then transmit to a satellite because they're in some okay. remote location. I, I I mean, that's how I sort of resolved it in my head. Was that right? Because I mean, if you think about it, I mean, Peter Abernathy was kind of a he wasn't, he was an unremarkable guest, uh, an unremarkable host. I'm so sorry. Um, He didn't really, other than being connected to Dolores, who is a much larger host. I mean, that's really his only connection to otherwise the rest of them. Everybody's sort of like extras and background players. And I feel like, why would you pick someone who is such a background player to do this thing unless it was so they wouldn't be noticed so it was sort of a test yeah but i'm just I'm, I'm talking about what the data actually is because when oh. they put the data inside abernathy right it's it's suggested that in season one that this is all the information mm-hmm. but in season two it's revealed that it's not the information it's actually an encryption key that will let you get access to the information okay that's in and then and then it sort of doesn't quite make sense why they would want to get that encryption key outside of the park if they still need to go back into the park to 
to unlock um, it. Yeah. Unlock. I mean, I guess just to make sure it's safe because what they're worried about is that when Ford retires, he's going to delete all of that information. So I guess Ford needs the key. So they're trying to get away from him. I don't know. It's just a little confusing to me. I guess if, if listeners can clear that up, but yeah. I, I really do think that the writers sort of changed their idea about that about as what the, the info series was. went along. Yeah. 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 That's entirely possible. I mean, I think they knew that what they were ultimately getting at was that the uh, purpose of the park was to collect the guests data mm-hmm. and potentially insert it into hosts. So it would be a host guest hybrid. But I think in season one, they really thought that, the idea was going to be to put all that information inside um, Abernathy. Mm-hmm. But in season two, they concocted this whole storyline about the forge and mm-hmm. the Valley beyond. So they changed it that so that Abernathy had the encryption key instead. It's interesting. There are a couple of uh, storylines that I feel like, and this is one of them that could fall under that where you can sort of sense these are some little tendrils that we put out there that if we didn't get a season two, because if they didn't have a season two, it would just be, it just would have created this, um, you know, this conflict, really. It was less about what the data was and more about, like, the actual sending of the t- data was the conflict between Teresa and yeah. Bernard, etc. So, and when they got a season two, they were like, well, let's expand this idea <laughs> and make it something different, you know? So, yeah. you know, sometimes yeah. that happens, you know, a storyline just sort sure. of, like has to peter off and become something different. So I mean, it, this could be one of them, but yeah, I think it is. We could also be wrong either. <laughs> yeah. That's also very, it's also a possibility. possibility. <laughs> um, what else? What did I put down? Uh, obviously Maeve waking up again. Uh, but I also liked that even though it was a storyline that didn't do a lot for me, it's interesting how, you know, Ford, takes the position that he's not gonna stop the man in black uh for looking for the maze so he's he's sort of allowing this you know to go on and it's it's interesting because man in black's position has always been that ford is this adversary of his so for ford to be this person who's like no you know i'm not gonna stop you do your thing it's almost Mm -hmm. like he doesn't care. He doesn't care if he makes it to the center of the maze or the mythological maze. Cause like I was saying before, I, th- I think it was more about observing man in black and seeing what lengths he would go to, to sort of yeah. achieve that, you know? And, but when he gets to the, the end, the man in black, and he finally figures out what the maze is and that when these certain hosts would tell him the maze is not for you, that what they really meant, I mean that when you hear something's not for you and you want it, it might make you want to go for it even more, oh God, but yeah. it was, but really they're like, no, really it's not for you. Cause it's about achieving consciousness and you're already conscious. So it's not going to be any good for you. But by that time we've learned about the man in black, that he wants something real. And what is d- dissatisfying about the park to him is that you can't really die there. And so then Ford tells him, well, maybe you would like, I think, what's going to happen tonight at my party might actually satisfy you a little more. So you should stick around. And it turns out that's true. Like when the hosts start killing everybody, man in black is like really excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely is. <laughs> also what's pretty big in this episode is that young William is totally falling in love with Dolores yeah. and th- thinks she's different from all the other hosts. And, and she kind of is, but he he's falling for her and, 
Yeah, it's interesting. What if he would have stayed with that? Because she really does turn out to be different. But but he comes to think, no, that was all bullshit. She's just a robot, and I was a fool. Yeah. But in this episode, he's totally into her. <laughs> he totally is. And there's a big orgy too. I forgot about yeah. that. <laughs> all the things you miss when you don't rewatch the episode. Damn it! <laughs> Let me mark that. They down. decide to they go to this town that's like full of criminals and and logan is really excited because he's an edgy guy and there's just all these scenes where they're talking and there's just people naked people fucking all around for like several minutes (laughs) so that's because this is an hbo show yeah they they do a good job with the uh sex sex explanation is that what they called it for game of thrones (laughs) and i kind of wonder um Sex position, yeah, Exposition, that too. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, I kind of wonder. I think season two had a lot less of that yeah. of Westworld that was heading into the whole Me Too era, and so I wonder if that's part of that. And season three will be even less. I think so. I I yeah. think also because it, ultimately season two is what I mean. Maybe there was a, a larger reason for it, but practically, I mean, season two, most of the most of the nudity you get anyway, I mean, yes, there's some sex here and there, but most of the nudity is basically just a bunch of hosts just standing around like fully nude and in a warehouse. Exactly. Yeah. And I love how you put yeah. that. We were like a hundred extras. <laughs> I know. I <laughs> just told must, like, must be willing to stand naked for stand naked five and, hours. and stand still too. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> hard yeah, to do. You're right. I mean, it could just be the storyline because season one is all about the fantasy of this place or a lot about that. But season two is just action movie escape kind of thing. Yeah. In season two, there's no facilities really like everything's gone. So it's not like they're doing a lot of like the rehabbing of the hosts, which we got a lot of in season one to sort of introduce us to this. So yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Number six six is called the adversary. At a Union Army outpost, the soldiers recognize Teddy as an accomplice in Wyatt's massacre of his unit. After recalling his complicity, Teddy escapes with the man in black by killing all the soldiers. Sizemore is introduced by Teresa to Hale. That's the writer, Lee Sizemore. By Teresa to Charlotte Hale, a board representative sent to observe park operations. Teresa ends her friendship with Bernard who finds a quote unquote friendship, I would say, Oh, relationship says with Bernard, who finds out that Ford has secretly been keeping a family of hosts. Elsie continues investigating the glitches and tells Bernard that Teresa is behind the espionage and that the first generation hosts have been reprogrammed by someone calling themselves Arnold. However, she is abducted by an unknown assailant, a child. Well, that's Bernard turns out being to be Bernard. A child host kills his dog, telling Ford that Arnold told him to. Felix gives Maeve a tour of the company. She bends him and Sylvester to her will and convinces them to change her programming, setting her awareness rating to maximum level while decreasing her loyalty. Interesting. Interesting. So what about this one? Uh, I mean, the introduction of like, I mean, is Charlotte Hale not the biggest asshole ever? Yeah. I mean, she's she's pretty good and her introduction is just so you know I, I remember distinctly watching that episode and feeling like this person has been sent to make you feel uncomfortable in everything you do I mean she's smart and she's focused and motivated but she's also um 
she was is this the episode where she's literally just sort of like laying around like half naked in her room did that happen in this i think episode so or the yeah it, it's uh teresa she calls teresa to her room <laughs> and she's in there fucking hector and she, and she opens the door i, I think she's putting on her robe and yeah. oh don't mind and she's like do you want me to come back later oh no it's fine yeah she's just so like casual about it which is yeah. just like i mean that's like that's a psychopath right <laughs> i guess i mean, I, mean I don't know maybe maybe it's to be admired that she i mean what well, i mean one thing this show is trying to say about people is that they have these animalistic drives yeah. and the park is a place where they get to say screw it. I'm just going to follow my drives because there's no consequences here. Now right, she's doing right. this outside of the park, but it's with a host. So it sort of counts maybe. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But then she's doing it right in front of this person, which would totally make <laughs> anyone feel uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Any normal person. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to watch someone else have sex. That's like, you know, not really. It's your boss. <laughs> no, which I know that puts like such a weird layer on it. Oh my God. I have images right now. Stop it. Get out of my head. <laughs> the worst. She's interesting. I mean, she's very, um, she knows what she wants. She's no nonsense. She mm-hmm. has a goal and it's the company goal. But the thing is the company goal is to surreptitiously take people's uh, scan their minds and store their data and so that's uh probably not right you know it's not a good thing in fact to the point where later on in the series when elsie confronts her like i will i'm going to tell on you for this she kills elsie so yeah yeah she's not a good great person no not at all mm-hmm. i thought though that um it's it talk about the title of the episode it's the adversary and she is without a doubt from now until the end of season two, she is the ultimate adversary in the beginning. It felt like it was more administrative, you know, she's, you know, she butts heads with uh, Teresa, etc., And it seems like all these people who are sort of in charge, but then down the road, it's butting heads with, you know, everyone that's trying to get out of the park and, you know, you know, become awake and all of that. And she is just, right there as like the you know the great wall of china right in front of them like mm-hmm. you can't get past me so yeah she's just like the representative of the evil corporate overlord mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and and a great choice too you know to have it be a woman have it be a woman of color and she and like you said yeah she as creepy as it was she's confident in herself and her body and what her you know desires and needs are and she she just gets them you know and it says that whole scene as uncomfortable as it was it says a lot about what she what lengths she's willing to go through to make go to to make sure that she gets what she wants you know she doesn't really have mm-hmm. like a filter if you will <laughs> so yeah and i think yeah tessa thompson is her name right she, yeah she's she great. did a really good job yeah, yeah she's great and i hope I, I mean she should be in season three given where the series ended so yes. we'll see how big a part she has yeah absolutely um for me, I loved when Maeve took had a, them take that iPad-like device and just bump up her characteristics, turn the yes. intelligence all the way up. <laughs> and I'm like, that is such a fantasy that, you know, I wish I could do. <laughs> I wish I could take a laptop right now and just be like, please, let's up my understanding level of anything that's happening on Westworld <laughs> right now so I can yeah. sound smart on this podcast. <laughs> Let's see if yeah, it Yeah, and, and she... Are you watching Lock and Key, by the way? 
No. Oh, uh, it's it's really great. There's something similar in that where a character removes their own fear, and then you see you know how that eff- impacts their life afterwards, and uh, it reminds me of that. You know, sometimes that stuff might not turn out exactly the way you would think or hope, but for Maeve, it turns out to be a great thing. It sure does. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, anything else, or should we move on? Let's see. They show Maeve around a lot. Mm-hmm. She's she's learning about everything, and um, yeah, this is where we find out someone had already been altering her. We later find out that's Ford, and this is where Bernard finds Ford with all the old hosts. And I don't know if we know it this episode, but later we find out that's his family. Yeah. made up to look like his family. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I guess that's it. Okay, yeah. let's move on. All right. So episode seven is entitled uh, Trump Loy, uh, which is a French term for the visual illusion in art. Mm-hmm. And it is revealed that Teresa and Hale are both secretly stealing Ford's research for the board so that they can oust him from the park without fear of him destroying his work in retribution. They engineer an event to demonstrate that Ford's reveries make the hosts violent and uncontrollable in their narratives. Bernard is blamed for the update of untested faulty code and fired as a result. Aboard an escape train, William and Dolores become intimate. Their train is ambushed by a group of confederados, forcing William, Dolores, and Lawrence to flee. They are able to escape when the Ghost Nation, a horde of hostile natives, attacks. Dolores and William part ways with Lawrence and set their sights westward. Meanwhile, Maeve finds her friend Clementine retired by the staff. Maeve decides to use Felix and Sylvester to escape the park. Bernard takes Teresa to Sector 17. Inside a hidden lab, she finds design plans that reveal he is a host. Ford appears and reasserts his complete control over the park, regardless of what the board thinks, and has Bernard kill her. Holy shit. (laughs) That was an amazing episode. Yeah, we're was. The scene that, that got me the most, and I think did I already know this? I can't remember, but when uh, Teresa and Bernard are at the the place where the Ford host family is mm-hmm. and um, he, she's like, what? Oh, I wonder what's behind this door. And he's like, what door? <laughs> right <laughs> after they had just said, you know, sometimes they can make things invisible to hosts. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Teresa says, this building isn't in any surveys of the park. Bernard says, that's because we use hosts to do most of the surveys. They're programmed to ignore this place. They literally couldn't see it if they were standing right at it. And then Teresa's like, what? Or if they were staring right at it. Teresa says, what's behind this door? What door? (laughs) (laughs) See all of the clues. They were right there for us all along. Yeah. Well, we find out right away. And then, but that's also later called back when, um, but in reverse, when at the end, there's that, the door that the hosts can all jump off the cliff and then their minds go up into the sublime paradise and Sylvester and Felix are there and they're like, what door? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I loved that moment. <laughs> yeah. I love those so characters. What else? They're so great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have a lot to do in season two. I, you know, I was glad that they were there, but um, they didn't have as much to do. No, but I feel, I sense that, especially with some flashbackiness, I would assume based on how things ended that we will see them a little, at least a little bit in season three. 
yeah. um, with what they were tasked with. So, well, yeah, uh, let's mention that. So at the end of season two, all the, most of the hosts are lifeless because they've all killed each other or been shot by yeah. Delos security forces. And somebody gives Sylvester and Felix the task of finding which hosts are salvageable and gathering them up. And then it, the cameras flashes to Maeve who looks pretty dead, but you yeah. know, they can all come back to life. So that just sort of suggests since they have a relationship with Maeve that they're going to be bringing her back to life. Right. Oh, for sure. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, and is this the, um, is this our first introduction to ghost nation in this episode? I don't know. I think it might be. Yeah. Maybe so, there, maybe Maeve had seen them in some flashbacks. I don't know for sure. Yeah. But I think, I think, yeah, this, this might be our first meeting of them and interesting mm-hmm. how we had the whole conversation about how there wasn't as much, you know, sex and physical contact. And then we're like, so William and Dolores have sex <laughs> on a moving train, which mm-hmm. I feel like that's, I don't know. That's a fantasy somewhere. Does he have to pay extra for that? <laughs> it was an interesting scene because he's like, no, I'm sorry. I, I have someone waiting for me back home. And she's like really upset. You know, she's like, okay. Oh, and she goes into the other car and then he goes in and starts kissing her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what about you? What did you have from this episode that stood out? Let's see. Uh, there was Clementine getting, them showing this demonstration that the hosts are malfunctioning and so they take a host that we haven't met before and he beats up clementine and it was really brutal and hard to watch and then they supposedly reset her but just to show that she can remember and then she comes in and just kill brutally kills the guy and i think it this was a bit confusing because i think that charlotte and Teresa programmed her in such a way that she would do that no matter what even Mm -hmm. though they were trying to make the point that the reveries were messing up the hosts but it is true that the reveries were making the hosts go crazy so i don't think quite that crazy but um anyway that was quite a striking scene yeah it's interesting to think uh you know knowing throughout the whole series like clementine's character just is so you know misused in so many different ways um, I'm really interested to see if she's one of the hosts that will be sort of resurrected by Felix and Sylvester and like given something better, you know, like maybe, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, cause it couldn't get any worse. She was, she's been mishandled and misused in so many different ways, you know, and thrown away like a dish rag pretty much. I know. And the thing about her, this, I think it's in this episode is they give her basically a lobotomy it looks like they stick a drill up her nose yeah and um it made me think that maybe that they had damaged her beyond repair because she's kind of a husk of a person after this throughout the rest of the series yeah she sure is but she's still functioning on some level so i don't really know how that works technically but um it's sci-fi whatever but uh (laughs) they could always just print out another one of those control units and upload her back up from the cradle but now they can't do that because the cradle's been destroyed right so i don't know if we'll ever see her functioning again yeah the only um the only thing that's possible is uh we we don't know who the um i just call them the brain balls (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. the marbles we don't know whose marbles that uh what are we calling her holoris hail dolores at the end there mm-hmm. we don't know which, which one, one she has, has. In her bag. yeah uh, i mean obviously she has dolores in her 
uh, but she has and others. She, Bernard, she had. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's five. There Were there, after we, okay, so the host that we saw outside, and this is for listeners, you know, we know that Dolores escapes the park by implanting herself into a Charlotte body. Well, I think Bernard did that, but anyway, she's in a Charlotte body, yep. Charlotte host body. And then she has, uh, she has a printer outside. So she yep. prints up her own body and puts herself back in it. But then there's Bernard who's back in his body outside in the real world. And then there's uh, Charlotte Hale, but we don't know who's inside her. Yeah. And then is that when we saw that she actually had five more besides them or I'm I'm only going I'm was. referencing when she was in the boat and she was initially leaving the park. Oh, she okay. opens That's up the bag to that. peek inside yeah. and you see them and it's like okay. it's a small handful so it's like 5 or 6. But okay. if you count yeah, I don't know for sure. You count one at least one is Bernard and at least one is the one that's in the, the the Charlotte body. So you've got at least like three or four more that are we don't know who they are. Right. So yeah but they've got to have some kind of importance I would say to Dolores probably. Yeah. Um, I would assume, would you be safe to assume one of them's Teddy? Actually, I was just going to mention that. I really feel like the point of Dolores, she had his brain ball mm-hmm. and she <laughs> uploaded it into the sublime. The, um, yes. What else were they calling the Valley beyond? Yeah, Valley beyond. And uh, I think the point of that was, to send him off to pasture, you know, to, to live happily ever after. And I feel like we're not going to see James Marston anymore. I mean, I don't yeah. know for sure, but that's what yeah. I think. Who knows? Yeah. I loved how you and David called that, that it was to me. I was like, it's like, he's a, a, a poor cow that was put out to pasture, <laughs> which he basically kind of was. Teddy was so. Well, you know what I loved about Teddy in the end, and I'm skipping ahead here. I'm sorry if this is confusing. Cause I just saw the series, but if you'll remember, um, once Dolores decides that it's her plan to kind of take over the world and kill all the humans mm-hmm. or whatever she's going to do, um, she brings Teddy along to help her, but she ha- tells him to kill some of uh, the hosts because they might, you know, be a problem and he doesn't do it. He yeah. tells them to leave and she's like, you're too soft. So she reprograms him much like we were just saying Maeve reprogrammed herself to be more ruthless. And he is ruthless for a while. He killed a couple of humans for no reason at all. Yeah. But then he overcomes that and he's like, or he's just like, I, I don't like who I am. I'm a monster. And he kills himself. Yeah. And he said, you know, he's mad at Dolores for making him that way. So he, you know, I feel like David and I were a little hard on Teddy. Like he, he comes off as kind of hapless, but he really overcame that. And he was, I, I felt a lot of love for him at the end there. Yeah. I mean, he was your rating system. You did rate things four or five Teddies. <laughs> <laughs> which always whenever you did that on the podcast it just didn't make me think of teddy the person it just made me think of like the negligee so i was like <laughs> four or five negligees <laughs> four, four to five negligees love this episode <laughs> but that's my own thing um i forgot we did that that's funny <laughs> but you know we should also call out that it was pretty impactful when ford had bernard kill Teresa. yeah was... i knew we forgot to talk about something <laughs> Just slammed her up against the and and I'm still like, did she really deserve that? I guess she was going to be a thorn in Ford's side and maybe not let him go through with his his plan. Oh yeah, yeah. So anyway, well, crazy. Sorry, Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> Season one, episode eight. Trace decay. Ford has Bernard stage 
Teresa's death to look like an accident. Then Ford wipes Bernard's memories after Bernard has a vision of himself attacking Elsie. Stubbs becomes suspicious of Bernard's behavior. Stubbs is uh, Ashley Stubbs, Chris Hemsworth's brother. Uh, yeah, the re- the security dude. Yep. Hale, Charlotte Hale recruits Lee Sizemore for her cause. Maeve convinces Felix to give her the ability to control other hosts and slit Sylvester's throat for attempting to kill her, though she has Felix save him. Maeve then suffers more visions. You know, she had Felix save him and she had this kind of Star Trek like thing that like stitched up his wound. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just want to mention this while I'm thinking it. I just think it's totally ridiculous that later on in the series, man in black gets shot at least three or four times and survives. <laughs> and I wonder if somebody had, the only thing I can think of is that either he's a host and I'm totally misunderstanding the season, uh, his story, or else somebody had one of those. Cause it just seemed kind of crazy that he survived all that. Didn't it? Yeah. It's sort of, it pushes the boundaries of believability. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there could be more things that we'll see later. Like maybe, Maybe we'll see like scenes that we haven't seen yet that are of him, you know, Shed fixing himself with the little like Star Trek pen or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. That would make me feel better. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so she, she has Felix save Sylvester. Maeve then suffers more visions of her past life with her daughter and reflexively kills another host, which I think was the, the new Clementine mm-hmm. prompting the park staff to retrieve her for a diagnostic. William Dolores finally reach their destination, Ford's church, where Dolores has more disturbing visions and realizes that Arnold wants her to remember something before they're captured by a band of confederados led by Logan. Teddy receives a flashback of the man in black attacking Dolores and interrogates him. The man in black explains he started searching for the maze to find purpose after his wife's suicide. Teddy is wounded by a female host before they're captured by Wyatt's cultists. Who is he wounded by? I forget. Was it Angela? I don't know. So what about this one? Um, I love that. Um, I mean, I'm going to always harp on the, and go to the storylines that involve Maeve. And I love that she sort of set up this little, like little gang of people that will be in her group, you know, down the road and Felix and Sylvester are definitely two of them. Uh, but I, you can sort of sense like Felix is the one that has the, has more, of a um, affinity with her, you know, that uh, he's starting to really come around to her. And uh, so that's definitely some of the stuff that really hits me there is that she's in order to accomplish a task, you sort of have those, that group of people along with you. And for her, for Maeve's, you know, Felix is definitely one of those people that ended up being helpful along the journey with her. Uh, So that's definitely one of them. Finding out about the man in black's uh, wife committing suicide was definitely a a big, a big piece of his pie. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. she killed herself because she could sense a darkness in him. We find out, mm-hmm. and later actually we find out that she could sense that for a while. But that night she took his little card that had all his data about what he does in the park and just. Conveniently, when she put it in her computer, all these windows of videos of him doing the worst things popped up. (laughs) But anyway, she was just like, all right, this is too much for me. But um, then he, you know, he seems to know that she killed herself because she could sense the darkness in him. So he went to the park to see 
how bad it could get like if he was capable of real evil and that's when he killed Maeve and her daughter which is what Maeve keeps flashing back on yeah definitely and then in her reaction he could see that she he said he could see she was truly alive for a moment and now he's looking for that feeling of being in danger like she was so that he can feel alive because he's a twisted bastard yeah and you know Teddy having that flashback uh you know shows that you know, the reveries are really starting to hit all of these hosts and slowly Mm -hmm. but surely everybody's having these memories of past lives and past wrongdoings. So that's also a pretty impactful moment there too. Mm -hmm. And then one other thing that I think is important, I think it is anyway, Maeve gets a hold of one of those iPads again and Mm -hmm. she gives herself, or maybe she told someone else to do it, to give her administrator privileges so she can control the other hosts and I think this is what why in season two she's able to just tell hosts what to do and they will do it. Yeah. And, and unless they're awake and then they can resist or not do it. But if they're not awake yet, they just have to follow her commands. And then she um, later on also finds out that she can do it without even saying anything, which makes it just seem like she has these charles xavier telepathic powers but i think that's because we also heard of another concept sometime in the series that there's this mesh network where the hosts can communicate with each other uh, with other hosts that are close by wirelessly so i think she's using those two things the mesh network and the administrator privileges that makes her look like she has magic powers to control everybody and it's interesting too because like it it looks like magic powers and you know in shogun world they 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 call her a witch and all of that other stuff but it really is just like it's just a wireless network she's just sending messages wirelessly it's like (laughs) you know if you understand the technology you're like oh that you know that makes sense (laughs) (laughs) right right yeah we saw a new clementine for the first time in this episode and i was just like when we saw new peter abernathy dolores's dad this dude with the black mustache felt wrong because you're used to seeing one person and somebody else it's like no that's an intruder and it made me feel do you ever watch doctor who i don't know sorry in that in that show the doctor they've built it into the lore that the doctor if he gets hurt badly enough or killed that he will change into a different form and the reason they did that is so a new actor can step in and play the role but every time that happens, you, you feel like that's not the doctor. And then after a few episodes so far, they've had a pretty good track record of making <laughs> you fall in love with each new one. Right. But anyway, it just feels weird to see somebody else playing the role because you sort of got attached to the person before. Yeah. And it's interesting because like when they introduced like the first uh, Abernathy uh, for Dolores's dad, the new guy, she sort of like it's it it's jarring for us as the audience, but then there's like a smoothness on screen, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's now things with people getting these memories, things are starting to fall apart. So yeah, the, the new Clementine. Uh, And you know, what's interesting is I have a tendency to watch a lot of stuff with um, closed captioning. And when you watch these episodes with closed captioning, she's literally listed as new Clementine Mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. the character name. Uh, Just like in uh, the end of season two, it's literally listed as uh, Dolores slash Hale. (laughs) Right. So they do all of that. So it's, it's pretty helpful. You know, it keeps things, you know, (laughs) helps you in your head to keep it together. (laughs) 
Yeah, they used yeah. to have these like pop up music videos where you would have little trivia things pop up. Oh God, yeah, watching. yeah, yeah, on VH1. Westworld needs that. Definitely. <laughs> By the way, this is actually Dolores. <laughs> In case you missed it, this is not who you right. think it is. Right. Oh my God. All right, let's move on. Okay, so season one, episode nine is the well-tempered clavier, and clavier is a keyboard. Uh, so I guess a keyboard that behaves itself is where we're going with that. Okay. There's yeah a lot of music references which oh, makes sense because they have this whole player piano thing which I feel like is about you put the whatever you call that thing that tells it exactly what to play and it plays it. Yeah. And that's a metaphor for how the hosts are when they're behaving quote unquote properly. Plus if you think about it, you know what just hit me is in the in season two when we get to the point where they're looking at all of the people's memories in the books the data is written in a way that doesn't it look like the thing going through the player piano? Oh yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And yeah. And that's, yeah, that, that's a great point because it turns out that at least according to the show, people are just like the hosts. We really don't have nearly as much choice or any choice. Like we think we do. It's oh, we all just no. behave yeah. according to our code. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right. So in well-tempered clavier, uh, Maeve reveals to Bernard that he is a host and convinces him to let her back into the park where she meets Hector and convinces him to help her escape the park. Bernard confronts Ford and forces him to restore all of his memories and discovers he is a model of Arnold. Bernard attempts to kill Ford, but the latter uses a back door in the former's code to force him to commit suicide. Meanwhile, Logan cuts open Dolores's belly to show William she is not real. She manages to escape and run away, finding that the wound is suddenly gone. She reaches the church where she learns that she killed Arnold. She then encounters the man in black. Logan then awakens to find that William has slaughtered all of the confederados. William threatens Logan into helping him find Dolores. Teddy has a flashback of himself killing host Angela before she kills him. Hill meets uh, the man in black who is revealed to be a board member and unsuccessfully tries to gain his assistance in removing Ford. Stubbs investigates suspicious activity in the park and is ambushed by ghost nation hosts who are not under control. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a lot of, this is where, yeah, we find out, is this where we find out who, no, we don't find out that it's actually William, but they're converging the two timelines together yes. in a way that makes it feel like makes you think it's one story, you know. Yeah. But it's not. <laughs> yeah, and those it's, those we come to find out later like once they really sort of merge everything that, you know, it's when Dolores has the moment where, you know, her wound is gone, it's because she's not in that timeline anymore. Yeah. She's just remembering those things from previously, but she's wearing the same damn clothes and right. she hasn't aged. So we're watching it and we're like, what the fuck is going yeah. on? You you know, you really do need to watch this show again to appreciate it. Oh god, because yeah. Because it's ridiculous. You can't you there's no way you can understand what the hell's happening yeah. until you know the end. I watched all I watched last season. I watched all the episodes and I listened to your podcast and I was like, yeah, that's great. And then when I finished the podcast, I was like, so what happened? Like I still was and, and <laughs> right. through no fault of you guys. It's just like having all of that information. It's almost like we are all Peter Abernathy with an information overload and we're yeah. not able to parse it and put it together. Sometimes it's just, well, yeah. I, one thing that was great about when we podcasted about season one, we had already seen the full season and we made it clear for each episode that 
this was with the understanding of what happened through the whole season. So we were able to piece it together for season two. We were doing it episode by episode. So if we went back and did that again, there, it would be a lot different because it's the same thing with season two. When you go through a second time and you know what's going on, you know, you pick up on a lot more things. So let's see. I mean, Logan cutting Dolores open is a pretty impactful scene. She's got all those wires and William's like, what are you doing? Um, (laughs) Stubbs gets caught up with, or Ghost Nation kind of grabs him. Yeah. You know, he's saying freeze all motor functions and it doesn't work. And this is the last that we see of Stubbs uh, this season. And we find out later that the Ghost Nation are all awake. So that's why they don't respond to those commands anymore. And then, of course, there's, yeah, Ford making Bernard shoot himself in the head. Yeah. Yeah, those are some impactful moments. I mean, I really... (laughs) There's Maeve and Hector in the tent. Yeah. Where she's like, you know, come on, join me. We gotta, we're going to get out of here. How do we do it? And they they start having sex and burning up the tent. And if I was Hector, I'd be thinking, I hope she's not crazy. Because <laughs> <laughs> this seems a little extreme. But the way you do it is you kill yourself and wake up in the lab and then you can get out. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you're going to go out, go out in style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's cool i mean that's what the show does it does everything with style yeah absolutely i mean who who's who could say they've ever seen a scene like that before i mean it's amazing <laughs> you know we're gonna burn ourselves up while we're having sex and it's all so we can die and they can rebuild it's all part lives. of our plan yeah right. so it all has a purpose and i love too how i you know what i was thinking is well if they burn themselves up are they going to be able to come back and then you see um i think it's in the same episode them rebuilding her skin and her, I think her body's underneath is still intact. They're like the Terminator underneath. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on to number 10, the finale of season one, the bicameral mind. Mm-hmm. The man in black presses Dolores about Wyatt's whereabouts and the center of the maze and reveals he's actually the aged William. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Dolores then remembers Arnold's order to kill him and destroy the park and that she is actually Wyatt. She attempts fighting back. Teddy rescues her and they flee to a distant beach. What was it? that Where the mountains meet the shore? Yeah. Dolores dies in Teddy's arms, though that is revealed to be part a part of Ford's narrative. During her escape from Westworld, Maeve, aided by Hector and Armistice, finds Bernard's corpse and Felix repairs him. Bernard warns Maeve that her desire to escape was programmed into her. Although Maeve, now alone, initially continues her escape, she has second thoughts and exits the imminently departing train to find her daughter. She was given a sheet as to the whereabouts of her daughter, revealing the existence of multiple parks, including Shogun World, which was shown earlier. There were some Shoguns shown earlier. Mm -hmm. Back at Westworld, Ford tells Dolores and Bernard that he regretted his role in Arnold's death, came to to desire to free the host as well, and has spent the last 35 years preparing them to fight back. He then gives a speech in front of Charlotte, the man in black and other guests, which a lot of them are, I guess, the board of Delos Mm -hmm. criticizing their handling of the park. Dolores then shoots and kills Ford. An army of reactivated hosts emerges from a nearby forest and Dolores begins shooting the guests. That part was pretty crazy. Yeah. And (laughs) I'd say like, for me, like the, the, I mean, yes, every, the, the easy selection from this episode is obviously the shooting of Ford and then the uprising of the the host. But how eerie was it when Lee went down to go, he, he went to go retrieve like someone from 
you know, the storage and it's empty. The area where all of the hosts are usually yeah. completely <laughs> empty like Uh-oh. that. You're like, Oh my God, that, cause that can't be good. <laughs> right. So, yeah. That was, that was shocking. Uh, such, a, such a shocking scene. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing um, I noticed is when, I think it's revealed in this episode that when Arnold successfully got Dolores to be conscious back in the day, mm-hmm. Ford thought that humans would just see her as an enemy and told Arnold to roll her back so that she was not conscious anymore. And that kind of mirrors what Dolores is saying to Bernard at the end of season two. Like you just always want to try to play both sides and think that you can fit in in a human world, but they are always going to see us as a threat. But her solution to that isn't to roll herself back, but to instead go out and try to conquer. Yeah. Yeah, definitely reasserting herself. And the, mm-hmm. I thought the, you know, Maeve making the decision on the train is obviously impactful because she doesn't escape and she comes back in and is mm-hmm. such a huge part of her looking for her daughter is it's such a huge part of the narrative of season two. And that's the first time that she goes against any programming and does her own thing. Exactly. And she got off that train, I think. Exactly. And she, the thing that's funny is a deeper part of her awakening was definitely, she thought that her running away was her going against her programming. So for her to find out that her flight was something that was programmed, it makes you, it just like changed something in her, it, you know, made it like, yeah. well, then maybe this is not what I'm supposed to do. And, and it's it, like a teenager who just does the opposite of what their parent <laughs> says, just because they want to prove their independence. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Please don't yeah. clean your room. Fine. I'll clean my room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We use that on my three-year-old all the time. Does it work? He's such a sucker for reverse psychology. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, don't eat those peas i want peas thank you (laughs) reverse psychology eating small children for decades um (laughs) i guess i guess that's it i mean obviously ford being shot and the you know the host army sort of emerging from the woods was very um it had a very shakespearean quality because that happens in macbeth you know, with Burnham Wood, you know, approaching them. So it just, it had a very Shakespearean quality for all of them to sort of emerge and then just start, you know. <laughs> yeah, very chilling. Yeah. And it was, when it ended, I remember at the time thinking, you know, they have to, have to do a season two. I mean, how could they not do season two? You can't <laughs> leave us like this. <laughs> We've <laughs> got to know what happens now that the hosts have had their uprising So I guess the question would be, if there was never a season two, do you think that that would be a satisfying way to sort of like leave it hanging? Is, you know, the people have all been killed and the hosts have won because they've been able to, uh, you know, rise up against their programming. Would that have been enough to sort of end it, do you think? I mean, it wouldn't have been enough, but it would have been better than other things you know right because it it was yeah it it was a pretty strong ending i mean i remember just sitting there going holy shit that is dark (laughs) yeah but i like dark stuff yeah so i think it would have been okay but i'm glad that they're going forward with it that it it got some resolution yeah i mean some resolution not not full resolution yeah i mean i i mean i think you know the story you could almost say is just getting started. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> With season three. Yeah. And then there's the whole reveal of William as man in black. Now, unfortunately the spoilers were all over the internet and I didn't manage to avoid them. So I knew ahead of time, maybe Aww. a lot of people figured it out on their own too. But what about you? Did you, I was not spoiled. I didn't know until, until it was revealed. Um, mostly because they did, I think they did such a really good job of exactly what I was just saying, the whole keeping Dolores in the same clothing and things like that just made you feel like you were looking at different time periods in the present day. So you just connect those dots. Well, and in this episode, you've got um, William and Logan and William's like, no man, she's different and I'm going to go save her. And then you switch to another scene and here's Dolores and the man in black is threatening her. And she's like, my true love is going to come save me. And so you think that, that those are that William's about to find her and then they do that. Yeah. Mind blowing thing. Yeah. I'm usually, uh, it depends. Uh, Sometimes I can see plot devices really far away, but if you bury them well enough, I I just don't, my brain doesn't work in a real analytical way that way. I just sort of like stuff just sort of washes over me as I watch it. And I'm, I have a really hard time seeing things like themes and hidden meanings and stuff like that. So for me, it was a surprise and it was great and, and I loved it. And, and I, knowing where they're going to take it, I'm, I'm, it's such a, it's such a wonderful storyline to, to have these two people, <laughs> I mean, and in, in season one, you know, William was this, you know, wide eyed <laughs> and he's like, also this like awful killing machine. And, you know, it's, it's just so interesting that they had these two characters this whole season and come to find out they're the same damn person. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. just really interesting. I mean, and uh, a thing about the series is it's pretty clear if you read some interviews with, Jonathan Nolan, one of the two showrunners you mentioned that he's pretty much a misanthrope, you know, he yeah. kind of hates people <laughs> and he, he has a, he has a dim view of humanity. And I feel like that really comes through in the show because people are freaking dark in the show and the hosts are pretty dark too, most of them. So, um, it makes for a really interesting show, but it's sometimes I'm like, man, this is dark. I'm glad there is some humor in it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What else? There were there was a couple more things. William, we do see some of that coming through because young William is he was really resistant to shooting anybody, but now he's just killing loads and loads of people while he's looking for Dolores, so he's getting a taste for it. The even young William is. And uh they're also talking about increasing holdings of the park and even like taking over Logan's position in the company so you see some of his cutthroat nature coming through mm-hmm. even as a young guy and then last is that dolores this is where she has th- that scene where she's talking to what looks like either bernard or arnold and then the voice changes to her own and she's talking to herself and it's that whole concept of the bicameral mind or or the, the voice of god helping you bootstrap consciousness until you can change that voice into your own voice and so we learn that the whole time after bernard killed himself that whenever she heard him in her mind she was actually hearing herself and that she's becoming aware and that comes back later too with uh bernard in season two where he has uh ford 
a copy of Ford in his head telling him what to do. And finally he gets sick of Ford telling him what to do because Ford tells him to kill Elsie, mm-hmm. which actually would have ended up being a good idea maybe. But anyways, <laughs> um, and so he deletes Ford from his mind and then he starts hearing Ford talk to him again. But it turns out that it's the same kind of a thing where it's actually just him talking to himself and bootstrapping his own consciousness. Interesting. Very. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's uh, season one. We're at an hour 25. I kind of thought this might happen. (laughs) I'll probably make a chapter marker here to, if people want to skip right to season two, shall we just head right into season two? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Before we get into reading the episodes, I just want to mention that I think a key to understanding season two is to know what happened to Bernard that at some point during the story, he decided to scramble his own brain. And this was after he had killed Dolores, but then created a Charlotte host body and implanted Dolores's control unit slash brain ball into that. But he didn't want the extraction team that he knew was coming to be able to get that information from him. So he scrambled his brain. So we're seeing I call it pre-door and post-door time periods. (laughs) And really watching this through the second time with all of that in mind helped me understand it so much better because I could always, I I was like looking at Charlotte. Okay, that is actually Charlotte and this is pre-door. You know, then two weeks later when the extraction team landed on the beach, every time you see Charlotte after that, it's actually Dolores. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, there mm-hmm. was some really great um, behind the scenes things as well that showed, um, you know, Tessa Thompson said that, you know, she, Evan was, Evan Rachel Wood who plays Dolores, she was very forthcoming and helpful on some of the things that she does as Dolores, uh, which I'd never really noticed, but man, they, they help. Um, do you know when Evan Rachel Wood, when she walks as Dolores, she doesn't swing her arms. Because that's a very human thing to do. And she wanted to do a couple of things uh, physically uh, as part of her physicality that would make her seem just slightly off, like slight, you know, this yeah. just like something you can't put your finger on. And she picked that and it's yeah. really helpful. I did not notice at all the first time through, but second time through when I knew that it was actually Dolores, I noticed that she was changing her voice a little bit like this, like Dolores talks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Same. And Mm -hmm. yeah, she's so Tessa, you know, she, when she was, you know, Holoris, she was, uh, you know, trying to do some of the gestures and things that were very Dolores like. Um, And it's interesting because if you think about who Hale was in season one and then in season two, what we see, it's, it's interesting because she's very, um, she's a little more buttoned up in season two at least in her physicality. So I'm wondering if she just spent a lot of time not wanting to give herself away, you know, so she wasn't as expressive as I feel like she was in season Mm. one. I mean, she was aggressive Mm. and she was still herself in, in a lot of stuff, but she, you know, it didn't want to make it too different. Exactly. She didn't want to draw too much attention to who she was, et cetera. So yeah. Yeah. Cause I had no clue. Oh God. No, no. Until until the reveal, (laughs) I was like, son of a bitch. And then it just like, I love how this show with season one and season two had moments at the end of the season that made you go, son of a bitch. Well, now we have to go back to the beginning and watch it all over again with this new information. Yeah. And this one was much more mind blowing, I think, than the man in black one. What do you think? 
Uh, if I had been surprised, I think I I might have found the Man in Black one more actually. Yeah. But because when I heard it, I was like, no way. So, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, to- I I actually felt like season two and maybe even season one a little bit that they were being. Sometimes it f- seemed like they were being deliberately opaque in a way that the only purpose was to keep us guessing, but it didn't have any meaning for the story. And so I feel like it's a little cheap and I feel like that a little bit more in season two than in season one. So the rumor has it that they're not going to be doing that quite as much in season three. And I'm happy. I mean, I, you always want a little bit of that in Westworld, but sometimes when it seems like they're just trying to make it harder to understand just for the sake of making it harder to understand. I don't know. Yeah. I have heard that too, that they're just gonna, they're going to be a little more straightforward than they have in the past. Yeah. Cause if you can't do a good story by making it a little more straightforward, then that's really telling, but I I think they can. Yeah. I think so too. So should we jump Mm -hmm. right into season two then? Yeah. All right. So episode one of season two, the title is journey into night. Uh, In the hours following the massacre of the Delos board members, Bernard and Charlotte take shelter in an underground bunker where they resolve to work together in locating the decommissioned Peter Abernathy in securing aid. Ten days after Ford's death, Dolores has embarked on a bloody campaign to hunt the survivors. She tells Teddy her programming has caused her personas to merge and that she has greater plans for the hosts. Maeve recruits Hector and forces Lee to help her find her daughter. William, who also survived the massacre, encounters the young Robert Ford host, who reveals that a game designed just for him has commenced. Two weeks later, a security team sent by Delos to reassert control over Westworld finds Bernard and enlists his help in investigating a series of anomalies. The investigation leads them to a lagoon filled with hundreds of dead hosts that Bernard claims to have killed. You know, I think there's a little bit of an inaccuracy in that. Uh, Again, this is Wikipedia synopses, but it says 10 days after Ford's death, Dolores has embarked on a bloody campaign to hunt the survivors. I think that was immediately after Ford's death. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. Then two weeks later is when this whole extraction team arrives. Yeah. yeah. What else? Um, All right. So for me, I really loved there's a conversation between... And I never was able to keep it straight, but uh, we're going to say that it was Dolores talking to Bernard because I'm not sure if it was Arnold uh, or not. But they have a whole conversation about what is real. And the line I loved is, what is real is that which is irreplaceable. That really hit me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a big theme this season. Yeah, absolutely. And my other thing, my other impression in rewatching was uh, this show does so much to sort of subvert what you think will and won't happen. And you really have no idea and your brain is so scrambled. And then just to make it that much more interesting, they had a tiger show up on the beach. Uh, <laughs> really make you feel like what the fuck is going on? Here? Yeah. <laughs> just to really that. fuck with your brain. But uh, those mm-hmm. were, those were my ones that I just wrote down for episode one. What did you have? Yeah. So when we see Dolores with Bernard, I think all those scenes this season mm-hmm. are Dolores uh, doing coaching Bernard and basically doing right. another theme of this season, which is a fidelity test. Right. Just uh, this is we're seeing the process of Dolores basically creating Bernard and all of these take place in, I think in the digital world, kind of like the cradle and the forge that we see later. Mm-hmm. So they're simulations and she's just, uh, sort of uh, 
shaping Bernard's personality before they actually, you know, implant that into the physical Bernard host right. body. Yeah. And, and I'm pretty sure all those scenes have uh, black bars at the bottom and top. So when you go back, you can tell that we're in the simulation world here. Very helpful to know. <laughs> I think so. I noticed on the beach, you see when there's a lot of chaos and the extraction team arrives and they're just gunning down the hosts, you see Rebus played by Stephen Ogg jumping in front of a woman. You shall not harm her. <laughs> and it's off to the side. So you might not even notice, but then we learn later that I think it was um, Bernard had reprogrammed him to be an honorable person <laughs> <laughs> which was so, so great i mean yeah, you know I having getting him in uh you know folks who listen to this if they don't watch the walking dead uh stephen Ogg played a pretty irredeemable character on that show Steady. as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and he's known for being in grand theft oh, yeah, auto 5 right. which he that's plays a, right like now. a psycho dude yeah so yeah it was awesome to see him being this like hero um <laughs> i think this is the first time we see a host brain being taken out out of its head mm-hmm. on the beach when they grab that one to check and see what happened and they watch the video and see Dolores shooting him. Yeah. Um Dolores approaches a bunch of guests and they're she's like getting ready to hang them and I just liked that she's talking about I'm not a farm girl or white anymore. I'm myself now. One last role to play and that she's ready to conquer the world. Yeah. Um, May- now this is where Maeve decides to take Lee with her on her journey to find her daughter. Yeah. And, uh, I'm so glad she did. Cause I love those characters together, yeah. but, uh, I thought it was a little, I have to go into my dispense, uh, uh, what do you call it? Department of suspension of disbelief <laughs> yeah. to think that Maeve with all her powers and knowledge doesn't have like a map of the park and know where the hosts are and stuff, but okay, fine. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. You know, it's funny. I never even thought of that. That's so interesting. Oh my God. I just, so stupid. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, whatever. Yeah. But uh, it turned out that he, he was able, like at first he's leading them into Shogun world and doesn't even seem to know where the hell he is. But by the end, he, he actually does lead her to her daughter and she thanks him for, she's like, you actually were useful. Um, we see these creepy drone hosts this episode, which I love the look of them. Those white. Yeah hulking things they're amazing i loved the um you guys uh spoke in one of the podcasts about one of the actors who played a drone host and it was just such an interesting perspective of you know how he how he sort of approached the role and also what it took to sort of get into that costume because it's a practical costume it's not cgi yeah, that is so cool. Yeah, and it's a great costume. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing costume. <laughs> I love it. A uh, couple more things. We see the aftermath of when Dolores and the other hosts killed a bunch of people at Ford's retirement party. Mm-hmm. And he's we see him dead with maggots coming out of his gaping eye hole. Mm-hmm. So I think they really wanted to show that graphically so we wouldn't have any question about whether he died or not. Right. <laughs> And then the whole thing about all the floating hosts in the big lagoon, we find out later that's because Dolores is trying to destroy this forge or these servers where the guest's mental data is stored. And she initiates this whole protocol that for some reason starts this flood. Right. And 
Bernard is able to actually stop that data, I think, from being deleted, but he's not able to stop the flood. No. Yeah, that's that was one of the things that I had to sort of like wrap my brain around towards the end was uh, why did the one thing work and the other thing didn't? But I guess, you know, certain things can't be dialed back. But um, yeah, yeah. And but it I, just, I, my impression is that the guest's data is still secure, but yeah. I don't know for sure. Okay, season two, episode two, reunion. In a flashback, Arnold organizes a demonstration of the host to convince Logan to invest in Westworld. Logan's father, James Delos, is critical of his son's actions until William persuades him that the park can be used to spy on the guests. Then he's all for it. <laughs> James <laughs> proceeds to buy out the park and name William as his successor. Dolores encounters an embittered Logan who tells her that they have doomed humanity. William shows her a special project that he's constructing within the park. In the present day, Dolores raids a refurbishment outpost and shows Teddy his true nature as a host. She then decides to recruit the Confederados to her cause and reveals she is searching for the Valley Beyond, which houses a weapon that can be used against the humans. William rescues Lawrence and heads to Pariah to recruit the host currently playing El Lazo, which is played by... Um, Giancarlo Esposito, Amazing aka life. Gus Fring. Uh-huh. Elazo, however, passes on a message from Ford stating that William must complete the game on his own. He and his gang then commit mass suicide to prevent William from recruiting them. Undeterred by the setback, William continues on his quest to destroy his quote greatest mistake. I love this episode. <laughs> it really is a great episode. There's so much really great things going on. I love, um, I was really struck by uh, Teddy. I lo- I wrote it as uh, his first look behind the curtain. Uh, and he's really, he really seems overwhelmed. You can see on his face, it's, it's overwhelming and he's not ready for it. Yeah. Um, mind so, blown. Yeah. So that's great. I love the, um, I also loved the introduction of the, of El Lazo as being Giancarlo Esposito, who is amazing. And that whole, mm that whole sequence was just great. And I wrote in my notes, I put Gus Fring exclamation point, ritualistic suicide exclamation point. (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, I'm like, why would you give him such a short role? It was great. I'd love to see more of him, which is why I wonder why it's so short, but now thinking back, maybe one reason why they put this in is because um, just to establish a pattern of hosts speaking with Ford sort of, or some semblance of Ford speaking through them and fucking with the man in black so that it would make more sense why he would kill his daughter in the end, thinking that she's just another one of those, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause that was such a heartbreaking scene. Uh, if you guys don't remember what I'm talking about, he just keeps looking at his daughter who's come to try and get him out of there and saying, I know you're just Ford. And then he ends up shooting her and killing her. Oh, God, it's really awful. her. Um, I also think really the, the killer part of this episode, and I'm sure you're going to talk about it too, is seeing the, uh, the sales pitch that, uh, Logan was given on Westworld and it's so amazing. You know, they, they find, you know, he meets up in the bar. It's, uh, Angela and, uh, it's, uh, Akachata, Akacheta from the Ghost Nation. Uh, do they, Uh do they introduce themselves that way? I forget. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Okay. Um, But they're in their regular street clothes and they bring him to this uh, party. And the game is that he needs to select who is uh, the the host. 
and he's walking around and there's this great moment where he walks past this guy and he's looking right at him and the guy looks at him like, what the fuck are you looking at? (laughs) What are you doing? And he walks around a little and then all of a sudden it's just like freeze motor functions and they all freeze. And that moment when he just cannot believe how perfect all of the hosts are. And it was, that was probably the best the most well put together uh, sales pitch uh, I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, That's how you sell a product. Yeah, exactly. I mean, totally. the whole room was the product. Yeah. And yeah. I, I remember rewatching when I was rewatching, I was like, I couldn't remember if it was just a couple of people. Um, and we already know, um, I think it happens in later episodes. I remembered, you know, Dolores is brought to a couple of parties and she plays the piano. So at first I was like, Ooh, who's playing the piano? Maybe that person's the host. And I didn't remember that the scene uh, played out the way that it did. So I was looking at everybody the same way that he was. And then when they froze, I was like, that's right. It's everybody in the room. (laughs) It's just amazing. And then, you know, Angela does her pitch, you know, I think even Akacheta, he, he freezes as well. Right. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just Angela walking just around. Amazing. Amazing. I think that's, yeah, one of my favorite sequences in the whole series. Okay. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. It's also the first time we see Dolores in our world, which is pretty striking. Yeah. She's looking at the city skyline and, oh, it looks like stars or whatever she said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is in earlier in the timeline before William and Logan came to the park. So this is when Logan gets pitched, decides, you know, he wants to invest. And then later he brings William to the park and that's all the stuff we saw in season one. And then they decide to invest even more. So it's made clear that William as the man in black, the older William, he says he wants to get rid of his biggest mistake, which turns out to be the forge he wants to destroy it and he's decided that he he that's his mistake later we see him you know we'll talk about it but with delos as this human host uh hybrid james delos because they're trying to implant human consciousness inside a host but they can't ever make it work but but he says to him something like you know you're a you're a bastard and most people don't deserve to live forever anyway. So I think he's just decided that it was a bad idea, I guess (laughs) (laughs) to try and make people immortal. And this is the first indication we get of that. But earlier on in the timeline, young William brings Delos to the park, convinces him to invest because they can gather information about the guests. So to hear, it seems like it's more of a, like, Oh, you can get really good predictive marketing if we do this or something like that. We can really understand people. Um, there was a meeting between Maeve and Dolores here where Dolores is on her, you know, rebellion kick and Maeve is just trying to find her daughter and Dolores is like, you know, you should join me. And Maeve says she's not interested in fighting. And she said something like, since it's Liberty you're defending, I presume you'll let us pass. And Dolores steps aside, but that was kind of a cool little meeting there. Yeah, absolutely. And talk about two people that are working at cross purposes, you know, they don't, yeah. They don't really have anything in common in this moment. And that could have gone really badly. Yeah. Um, so, right. yeah, very interesting. It was interesting to do it that way where yeah. it looks like it might, but it didn't. I, I liked it a yeah, lot. Yeah, it was really well done. 
Um, and then last, Dolores says she's going to use the forge as a weapon. And I really think that's important because this, you know, whole season is about Dolores going there to, I think, read a couple of those books that were information about how humans are, or maybe even to get some really specific information about a few humans. I think we're going to find out more in season three, exactly what she got out of that. But this is the reason why she didn't just leave the park right away. She needed, she wanted to go there and get that information. And also she wanted to destroy the, um, the cradle, which is the backup of all the hosts because she doesn't want people, uh, just re downloading the, the, those backups to bodies and putting them through torture again. And also about her trying to destroy the forge just to be as destructive as possible. But I think the main reason why she just didn't leave the park right away after she killed Ford was because she wanted to get what she considers a weapon, which is whatever information she got from the forge that the park had been storing up about humans all this time. Yeah, absolutely. And my prediction is that she's going to use that to like create hosts to impersonate powerful figures in society or something like that. But I don't know. We'll see. I know she's going to take down the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God. That's going to be cool. Crazy. All right. So okay, let's go to the next. One. Next up. Episode three of season two is titled uh, Virtue a Fortuna, uh, which means virtue and fortune. Uh, Charlotte and Bernard track down the decommissioned Peter Abernathy only to be caught by the Confederados and separated with Charlotte regrouping with the Delos security team. Dolores, who has secured support from the Confederados leader, Major Craddock, discovers that Peter is malfunctioning and orders Bernard to find the problem. In doing so, he learns that Peter is being tracked by an unknown entity. Dolores and her allies proceed to battle the security team, which Charlotte uses as a distraction to abduct Peter. Dolores wins the battle by sacrificing most of the Confederados. Maeve, Hector, and Lee reunite with Armistice. Felix and Sylvester, after an attack orchestrated by Ghost Nation hosts, forces them to return to the underground levels. The party re-enters the park only for a samurai host to charge at them. Elsewhere, Grace, a guest at a British Raj-themed park, flees rogue hosts and escapes into Westworld where she is surrounded by Ghost Nation hosts. There you go. So what do you have for this one? Um, well, the, the synopsis tells the story backwards. The India world is introduced at the very beginning of the episode. So you start out in this, um, colonial British, um, sort of enclave somewhere in India. And, and it's just this wonderful immersion into a totally different world. You know, it's, um, I mean, there's a lot of, it says a lot about, you know, we as you know white people and how we like to colonize a certain area like say the old west or (laughs) something like that and uh you know the the native folk are sort of pushed out to the edges there um but anyway we'll talk about that another time Uh (laughs) i mean it fit it fits right in with what i was saying before about jonathan nolan's dim view of humanity absolutely (laughs) you take something that's so brutal and wrong and awful and it becomes this totally appealing fantasy because i thought oh this is so beautiful man i'd love to go there and then i'm like wait a minute that's really culturally insensitive it is it's super (laughs) (laughs) absolutely um so that whole sequence in uh i guess they're calling it the raj world um yeah. is just amazing uh and we get new characters and uh, new situations uh to try and uh 
sort of figure out, but it's clear that this whole host uprising thing is traveling to other parks uh, because obviously the, um, all of the servants and the helpers and the hosts at the Raj world are also, have also risen up and, you, you know, this, yeah. as Gal Grace, she discovers that they've killed everybody and she just barely escapes. Um, and she runs th- past the, the borders and, you know, she and the tiger uh, fall into the water. So that explains why the tiger washes up on the shore. Um, so, yeah. And she eventually, and I does- guess that's just her fake name for herself because it's Emily who is, man in black's daughter yeah absolutely but she did say her name was grace yeah. for some reason she introduces herself that way and you know yeah. and i think uh, you and david had a conversation about why she might have done that and it could be that that's like her name is emily grace and she goes by that or something but it's also mm-hmm. she may just want to have a certain level of anonymity there uh in okay the park yeah and be another person i mean not be the boss's daughter exactly exactly so mm-hmm. so yeah so india world obviously is uh introduced uh, but we only see it in this episode. We don't really go back to it. Um, and then the whole scene at the fort where Dolores uh, slaughters all those soldiers who she got to her side. And you can see Teddy getting even more disgusted with everything. He was sort of when his eyes were opened by seeing, you know, behind the curtain. And now Dolores isn't who he thought she was and he's really having second thoughts. This sort of puts him on a path that uh, leads to some big changes with Teddy uh, because he ends up letting, you know, Dolores has him kill some of the soldiers and she walks away and he lets them go and she sees it happen and she's, you know, disappointed in him, of course. So, yeah. And this raises questions for me about Dolores too. Like I, I still, even second or third watch through, I didn't totally get what happened in that scene, but she tells the, she knows that the Delos security forces are coming and she tells the, um, that she's planted a bunch of explosives right outside the fort and she wants the Confederado soldiers to lure them as close as possible so that they can then explode them. But then she like closes the door and keeps them outside. And I'm not exactly sure why she did that. I guess she thought that would buy her even more time or what. And then, and then she has, um, tells Teddy to kill the ones that are left, I guess, because she knows that they are now her enemies because of what she just did. But, and she keeps saying throughout the series, you know, some people or some don't um, deserve to make it out of here. And so she's just decided that, I guess uh, she gets to be the one to decide who's worthy or not. And that seems pretty, pretty harsh. Yeah. It's, it was definitely uh, your first introduction to the fact that Dolores has a purpose and she doesn't mind using people to gain her purpose. And she may say she's all about the liberation of the host, but she doesn't mind killing a bunch of them to be able to liberate the others. So there's, you know, there's some, there's some. And betraying and lying and all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) And all of those things that have happened to them. And then she perpetrates all of those, those things. They were a means to an end, a part of her tale, a part of her story to be able to get to, you know, you know, her end of the road there to get to her destination. So it's, yeah, it's, it's troubling, you know, that Dolores did that. Yeah. Which I think is the point. I mean, they want us to 
be like, whoa, who signed him on here? Yeah. A little bit. Not the Lawrence's. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I don't, I'm excited to see if she takes over the world, I'll be fine with that. Oh, for sure. For sure. But her methods, <laughs> questionable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So also this is the first appearance I think of current day Charlotte who what are you calling her Haloris Haloris oh, yes <laughs> Hail Dolores. Who's, uh, Yeah who's really um Dolores so we see her looking for Abernathy pretending to be Charlotte here Yeah yeah and obviously we get the um the last moment uh like the very last moment before we uh, go to the end of the episode, the the smash cut at the end is the Shogun, the introduction of the Shogun world. Right. Uh, so it's pretty cool. Where Lee says, I think we're near the homestead. And then you see this ninja running towards him. And, oh, and I love that right before that, that Lee found the head and he goes running and he's like, we, we have to get out of here. We have to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And then when he later explains uh, Shogun World, he's like, Shogun World was created for people who thought Westworld was a little too tame for them. <laughs> so pretty brutal. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's pretty yeah. interesting that in this one episode, which I never thought of this, we, uh, we see three different worlds all in one episode because we're introduced to Shogun. It started off oh, in yeah. India and we've got Westworld in the center. So yeah, it's pretty yeah. interesting little bookends are there. opening up. Yeah. So moving on. Okay. For Riddle of the Sphinx, Bernard finds himself in a cave who we didn't mention it, but um, after that battle, it, Dolores and the soldiers and everything, Clementine just showed up and dragged bernard to this cave mm -hmm. in an isolated section of westworld he discovers elsie hughes chained up inside having abandoned her there while operating under ford's influence they explore a hidden bunker in the cave and find an insane host modeled on james delos a series of flashbacks reveal that william and james attempted to recreate james consciousness in a host body to achieve immortality however the experiment repeatedly failed and william shut it down did he I guess, I don't know if he really did. Bernard recalls that Ford had him retrieve the control unit of a second host human hybrid, but cannot recall for whom it was intended. Well, we find out later that was Ford who he's now stored in the um, cradle, yep. the host backup slash Westworld park simulation where he's thwarting everybody's attempts to get things back on track after what happened with right. <laughs> Dolores killing him and stuff and leave, letting the hosts continue to, cause havoc and stuff in the park william and lawrence return to lawrence's home to find it overrun by craddock and the surviving confederados craddock torments the other hosts for sport until william and lawrence overpower the confederados and kill craddock speaking through lawrence's daughter ford warns william that one good deed does not redeem him william rides west with the townspeople in tow where they meet grace who re reveals herself to be william's daughter emily that's probably really why they had her called her herself grace so that we wouldn't remember because i think william's daughter had already been named before that yeah that's possible <laughs> yeah so what were uh what are your things from riddle of the sphinx that jumped out the whole thing of uh james i mean i think james delos i think the episode actually started off with him on an exercise bike yeah <laughs> and it totally reminded me of uh what's his name desmond and lost yes. and hatch <laughs> like, such a great that was a good easter egg there yeah that's good yeah and uh you know william comes in and 
starts having the same conversation with him and then shows in the script just to show that he's basically the idea is they had this conversation with the real James at some point uh, so that they could establish a baseline of how James acts. Mm -hmm. And then they read James brain data and put that into a host body and then would go through the same conversation to see if he would act exactly the same way. And he pretty much does, but, always a few minutes in he starts fritzing out kind of like abernathy did in yeah. season one yeah um yeah the the delos thing is is just such a great bombshell um and they yeah, really they new. really led you there it was so well done um and what's great is i i love of course i was gonna be prepared and i'm not i'm so bad uh i love the actor who plays delos um mm he has a really great moment and I just remember ridiculous moments from movies I've seen a million times, but he has a really small part in Braveheart <laughs> that I always love. He's the guy that when everything's falling apart, he says, come on lads, I'm not dying for these, these guys or whatever. And then, you know, and then William Wallace comes around. He's the one that's with the dude. That's like, that's not William Wallace. He's, William Wallace is 10 feet tall or whatever. Sorry. He's a Scottish actor. They employed all Scottish <laughs> okay. actors. So the yeah. first time I met him and he it's opened his mouth, I was like, holy shit, that's the dude from Braveheart. So, Peter Mullen. I'm sorry? Peter Mullen. I just Peter Mullen. Up. Okay. Oh, yeah, there he is. Yeah, he's wonderful. He did such a great job as Delos, um, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. really encapsulated the, you know, the dickishness and everything. And, and it's funny because... Um, you really do feel as terrible as he is, as terrible a person as he is, you do feel at least a small modicum of sympathy for him at the end when it's, you know, yeah. he's just trying his best. And, you know, when he spills the cream at first and stuff like that, it's just, it's just so well done. It, I, I love it. I mean, yeah, he comes off like a blowhard, but when you really think about it, he's just a businessman and, He's sick. <laughs> yeah. And and it was really, so. really sad when, you know, Williams finally like, you know, you know, this you're failing and this isn't working and this is, you know, however many times we've done it or whatever. And then when he exits and he tells like the technician, you know, you know, it failed again or whatever. And she's like, well, Hey, it, it worked for seven days this time. And you're like, Holy shit, only seven days. And, yeah. uh, and then she's like, should we burn it down? And he says, no. And he says, it might be useful to preserve his degradation over the next few days. So they're basically going to allow him to fall apart and they're just going to observe it and learn from it, which is just so haunting and terrible. Oh, right. And it's also, it's our very first time seeing William, as young William and being callous and cold. Uh, it's, re it's really our first time seeing that. And it's, it, it's shocking because our, you know, last times that we saw him in season one, he was this, you know, heart sick and in love, like kind of puppy dog. And he starts to become more aggressive, but like, this is like a totally different person. Well, he, you know, I don't think I agree with that totally because he sent Logan off naked on a horse. We forgot to mention that. Oh yeah, but, that's um, true. And then uh, Akachita ends up finding him later, and he's about to die. <laughs> yeah. So he, we've seen signs of it before, but yeah, it was right up front and center here. Yeah, exactly. 
if for no for no purpose. I mean, the other things you could explain away, like you know he you know he's in the midst of these uh, situations in the park, but this is like face to face. There's no stakes, and I don't I don't have to be a dick here, but I'm going to be a dick here. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the whole thing about host human hybrid James Delos and this whole experiment not working and um you know trying to have immortality and everything i'm not exactly sure if that's the only reason why they were collecting park goers data they they're still not clear on that but we know that they've been trying this for 30 years and it's still not working yet they're still really interested in keeping all this data because later we see older William come in and it still hasn't worked, right? Yeah. James Delos is still in that same room, host human hybrid James Delos. But um then at the end of the series, which I'm gonna jump to just because it's relevant, at the very end, after the credits, we see a uh, man in black come in and it looks like, you know, uh the last we saw Man in Black current day, he was trying to get to the forge to destroy it. And he was with Dolores and um I think he decided he didn't need her anymore. So he shot her a bunch of times, but she wasn't affected by it because she's transcended being affected by being shot. And, uh, she had given him a bullet that had already hit. I think it was, uh, Teddy, the one that Teddy used to kill himself, shoot himself and put it in his gun. So it just blew the gun up in his hand. So he blew like half of his hand off. Yeah. And that was the last time we saw man in black until now where he comes into the same area that he'd been looking for. Um, but it's all old and dusty and his hand is missing, but, uh, his daughter, Emily, who he had killed is waiting there for him. So I think this is supposed to be far in the future and we really don't know what the hell was going on here, but, (laughs) um, my take on it maybe is that, sometime far in the future they did get it working to where you could um have a host human hybrid that lasted a lot longer yeah and that that's what william is this william that we're seeing this man in black that we're seeing is at the very end there and he's managed to you know they could only make it like up to i think 30 days before but but now he's actually gone through the whole park and he's still um intact that's what I think. I, well, like when I first saw that, I was like, I have no idea what to think about this. Yeah. That's what I think now. Yeah. And his daughter is just a host who's helping him. And she's also, I mean, another thing too, is when he meets his daughter later in season two and he asks her, you know, she, he, or she says, I know all about your project. And he's like, what are you trying to, you know, talk me out of it or whatever? She goes, no, no, I want in on it. So that's another clue to me that they both were able to do that later on. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm in the camp that, um, William is definitely host for, you mean through the whole thing? Um, I think so. I, it it was all of his men in black stuff that we see, I think, um, maybe not the stuff that's in Dolores's, um, flashbacks, but pre- maybe just present day, present day man in black. I think most of that, because it just, you know, you bring up a good point with the whole him being injured so many, so many times. times. And that's the only thing that makes me think that, because yeah. I really don't think that, but that makes me wonder if I'm wrong. Yeah. It's also <laughs> possible that he could have died when Dolores killed all the people and he was, you know, he had a, someone insert him into that scene after because he just magically wasn't killed right you know what i mean i don't know and 
because we don't see people show up at that uh, death scene until like a couple of days later, you know? So it's possible Mm -hmm. that he could have been just inserted into that scene and he like pushes all the people off of him and he's like, Oh, you know, I don't know. Well, hopefully we'll find out. I hope so too. Clarification. (laughs) What else about this one? Anything? Yeah. um, I wanted it. I love the, moment where it goes from uh i I made a note that i love that it goes from the the ultra techie modern world of the delos's chamber when it's you know burning or whatever and then the very next scene they show is um you know it's uh i think it's uh lawrence and craddock and whatever and they're they're pulling like rifles out of this box or whatever and i just i just love the dissonance of those two things that happen in this show where we have ultra modern things that are just paired with these uh, things from the old West. I just, I just always love that imagery and it really, it just mm-hmm. hit me really hard in that one. I don't know why, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That they can go from all these crazy different environments is yeah. one cool thing about this show. Yeah. This episode I think is where the concept of these control units, these little marble mm-hmm. ball brain balls, brain balls were introduced, <laughs> which I, think is basically like a cpu and and storage yeah. like our brains yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and definitely I, I know you and uh david were uh theorizing well you know how can they shoot the hosts in the head etc but i think you know it happens uh in the one of the later episodes uh, i think it's either seven or eight when teddy shoots himself in the head you see that the the little housing that the brain ball is put inside is completely bulletproof because that's what yeah. the bullet that Dolores grabs to put into Man in Black's gun. gun. When she takes it out, you can see that she took it right off of the little housing unit that holds yeah. the brain ball, which that's some pretty good. Uh, I mean, they assumed that people <laughs> were going to be shooting people up and it's the one thing that needed to be kept um, from being uh, harmed or injured in any way. So, right. yeah. Never mind that they all apparently have a, an explosive in the back of their neck. Yeah, that <laughs> never seems to get shot. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, you know, that also brings to mind that Bernard, the one that we see in the earlier time frame in this, uh, in this season, mm-hmm. or at least the one, you know, directly after uh, Dolores killed Ford, he's leaking brain fluid or cortical fluid, they call it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just because Ford just had him shoot himself. And so he's a little out of sorts, yeah. you know, but I think, you know, the bullet didn't get to his uh, control unit slash brain ball, but it did get into his head enough to cause some damage. Yeah. Like shook it up a little bit. Yeah. Kind of like shaken baby syndrome. So they shook, it shook his <laughs> brain ball and a little bit leaked out his ear. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then last for me is uh, we see Ghost Nation. They had taken Maeve's daughter to their camp and Stubbs is already there. And so I mentioned when we were talking about season one that the last we saw of Stubbs was when Ghost Nation grabbed him. Mm -hmm. And so here he is. This is the first time we're seeing Stubbs in this earlier time period of this season. Yeah. We see Bernard have these drones kill these lab guys and then he stomps the last one's head Uh um that was pretty that's brutal pretty crazy (laughs) yeah and i guess he's just getting uh ford's you know he's printing out a ford brain ball unit and they can't afford to let anyone know what he's doing or something i don't know yeah 
Anyway, that was crazy. Oh. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Okay, so next up is episode five of season two, which is Akani no Mai. In Westworld, Dolores questions what to do with Teddy. Uh, she concludes that he is a decent person, but his decency makes him a liability and has him reprogrammed against his will. At the edge of the park, Maeve's party is captured and escorted into a shogun shogunate-themed park designed to be more extreme than Westworld called Shogun World. They are taken to a nearby town where they meet Akane, a geisha who plays a similar role to Maeve. Akane is negotiating with a local shogun, but when she kills the shogun's emissary, he retaliates by sending ninjas to capture to kidnap Sakura, a young geisha Akane has come to love. Samurai sent by the shogun attack the town. During the attack, Maeve forces a ninja to kill himself without voicing a command. Maeve, Akane, and Lee infiltrate the Shogun's camp to rescue Sakura and find the Shogun is damaged and unstable. Akane kills the Shogun after he kills Sakura and Maeve wordlessly forces his samurai to turn on one another. She, Akane, and Lee regroup as the Shogun's army attack the camp. This episode was really a fun, refreshing change of pace because it was just entertaining and it wasn't all about the crazy mind fuckedness of the show yes and it, it was sort of in some ways a similar feeling to the very first episode where we just get introduced to this new world that was a pleasure to be in the shogun world yeah. and also to see all the uh shogun world versions of the west world stories and 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 characters play out and i especially liked that um hector hated his guy uh musashi or yep. whatever his name was i don't trust that guy <laughs> <laughs> by the end they're bowing to each other but i just i just like that and yeah. how um armistice and her doppelganger are sitting there staring into each other's eyes like they're on ecstasy or something uh you mean don't you mean doppelbot <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 it's just a great episode yeah i think uh i think it was a it's a, it is a great episode it's probably like my second favorite one of the whole season and uh it's it's just was interesting and even though it was sort of a respite from like the mind fuckery of the usual storyline stuff it still was like a mild mind fuckery because watching the exact same storylines play out with the different characters was just like amazing to watch and and i love that moment where armistice and her counterpart are just like staring at each other and like doing the whole like like yeah. they were on mushrooms or something it was crazy <laughs> i mean i was uh the only thing is if i was paying forty thousand dollars a day and i decided to try the other park i'd be pretty pissed off yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i wonder though i wonder if they have a way to sort of like change up because like i'm sure like take someone like mave she does have a loop right but they must have the ability to have some variety in the loop like she must have the ability to um do a little bit of improv within the loop you know what i mean yeah they can't they always establish that yeah Yeah, uh so but still if it's the same storyline but you know you're taking it's like playing another (laughs) (laughs) i don't know anyways it was a great episode yeah what else i um yeah obviously everything about shogun world was amazing the doppelgangers the doppelbots um but i mean without question the most groundbreaking thing is Maeve discovering that she can do the mind control so she can give commands mind command i'm like what is the word and yeah. she's like yeah making enemies stab each other yeah 
it's just Stuff amazing. Like it's so Pretty amazing cool. to watch, uh, you know, and even the, you know, the, um, Shogun master there who heard in advance that the witch was coming to them and he had them like burn and sear the ears of his, uh, all of his little warriors closed so that they couldn't be, uh, you know, haunted by the witch, but he just didn't know that it wasn't that she was saying the commands. She's just speaking to their minds. She didn't need their ears to be open. She just needed their brains to be nearby. Yeah. So, well, yeah, we thought they needed to hear her, but then she, she leveled up. And I love the, I thought it was interesting how they showed uh, that the, the Shogun himself, that he was, uh, he was damaged somehow that he, the cortical fluid. So they made sure that that's a, it's a clear representation that there's, you know, something going on in the mind that, uh, you know, so it's a shame that we know that that has happened to Bernard, but here's this also happening with someone else. Uh, and they never really established why or how that happened to the Shogun, but it was just more giving you more uh, information about that, I guess, like backing it up the story with Bernard a little bit. So but yeah, I love I loved this. This is one of my favorite episodes of the season. Mm-hmm. Aside from all the Shogun stuff, we see Dolores on the train headed towards the Mesa, and she's going there to get her father, which um, I'm not sure if that was yet another goal, why she didn't leave the park, park immediately, because she wanted to get her father first. Uh, but it, he also does contain the decryption key that she would need to get into the forge to access all the data that is her main goal. Um, I'm not sure if she knew that or if she did how she would know it, but it does turn out to be super important. And then the whole thing about Dolores and Teddy, where it, they it really touching scenes about their feelings for each other. And Teddy's not even talking with a Western accent anymore. So it just feels more like he's, found his authentic self but then you think that she's going to return all of that and then she has takes him to a room with a festering cow and has her men restrain him and changes his personality to make him a bad boy that was pretty crazy i mean the fact that she had to drive her point home with a festering cow i know okay i get it i know (laughs) it's it's the west worldiest of the west worlds (laughs) yeah you got to do everything with that much flair i don't want this to happen to you oh (laughs) no one wants that to happen to them (laughs) like she she, yeah she must have been like how far ahead in advance was she planning that I, <laughs> you need to have I mean, it takes a little bit for a cow to fester. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, do they have the technology to make that advance? Who knows? Yeah. Oh my god. But yeah, yeah that was festering. the whole um, the whole Teddy thing was just so um, it was so sad and uh, so yeah, and especially yeah. doesn't um, they they have like a whole um, they have sex together and they they have like a whole night right. and it's all like you you're sort of lulled into this sense of you know. Mm. She knows his uh, shortcomings, but she's just going to work with him. Nope, not at all. <laughs> no. And then I think watching it, when you know what's going to happen, it, it seems clear, at least it did to me, that she knows the whole time that she's going to do that, but she just wants to have one last experience with him before she changes him. Which is super selfish. <laughs> <laughs> I know. She's like a Westworld guest yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> she learned from the best. okay should we move on yeah absolutely okay number episode six of season two phase space 
Maeve and her group help Akane mourn Sakura's death before they leave via the tunnels. Akane and Musashi decide to stay behind. Returning to Westworld, Maeve finds her daughter, Anna, but discovers another host playing her mother. That was quite a moment there. (laughs) Uh, The Ghost Nation attacks. Well, sort of. That's what you think anyway. And Akichita asks Maeve to follow him. Charlotte and Ashley bring Peter back to the Mesa and signal for extraction, bringing up a group of mercenaries that take over from the Delos security team. Mm-hmm. Dolores and her group use the train filled with explosives to blow their way into the Mesa to look for Peter. Bernard and Elsie return to the Mesa together and find that something in the cradle. What? Something, and find that something's something. in the cradle. The central repository of host data has hijacked the park oh. systems, which we turn, turns out to be Ford, uh, Ford's consciousness yeah. in there. Bernard uses a host interface machine to insert himself directly into the cradle. Within this space, modeled after Sweetwater, Bernard finds Robert Ford waiting for him. What a great way to end that episode it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, What did he say? Uh, Hello, old friend. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because we went through the beginning of this season, you know, wondering if we were going to see Anthony Hopkins again. And, you know, they showed him, you know, dead and laying on the ground and we got some sort of flashbacky things like some senses here, but this is the first time we are having like an actual and, and it, to give it right at the end of the episode and, and give it like sort of a sh- uh, cliffhanger feel. It was just, it's such a wonderful end to the episode. Yeah. 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 I was surprised. I thought, Oh, he's not really going to be in it. Yeah. And you're right. We did have flashbacks and things. So he, he was in it peppered throughout, but yeah. this is where we really start getting a lot of him. Yeah. Uh so yeah, what Ford, else? Ford's Ford's return is really like the big thing there. I mean, and it's all mm-hmm. the, the end of the episode, obviously. Oh, and I made a note about how, you know, they make it to Maeve's daughter and, you know, <laughs> surprise, uh, <laughs> different mom. But I thought that, you know, they do a lot of this where they show circumstances happening the same way over and over again. And here Maeve like inserted herself to sort of change that loop of the ghost nation attacking and her daughter being taken away or blah, blah, blah. And she was trying to change it and it happened anyway. So I thought it was a really interesting commentary on, you know, fate versus free will. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even if you try and, and, you know, make changes, things will still turn out the same way, no matter what, you know? So I thought that was terrible, but, you know, interesting at the same time. Except I'm pretty sure that by this point, the ghost nation have all woken up and they're actually there to protect Maeve and her daughter. And it's, they're just being misinterpreted. So it, I think, so it is kind of the same situation, except it's not what it looks like. Yeah. You know, because I think earlier on, well, no, I don't, I don't really know, but I mean, I think it becomes pretty clear by the end of the, um, season that the ghost nation actually were trying to protect them the whole time, but they keep getting shot at every yeah. time they come over. It yeah. seems like they would figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> it's just off some of that scary makeup. Yeah. Cause I mean, they don't harm them. They just take them away and they just yeah. never knew that the end thing of that was we took them away to, you know, protect you from X, Y, and Z. But when you have these people who don't speak your language, who you can't 
communicate with who literally look like ghosts <laughs> grab you and run away yeah. you're gonna take it in a negative way um, right, right. yeah anyway so yeah the, the that was that was great um and uh the train i have issues with the train it's one of the few things this season that i thought was really kind of lame i thought the whole train going into the mesa was kind of did they need to do that? They'd already had access to underground areas and, you know, there must've been a less deus ex machina way to get into the, get into the Mesa. I mean, don't you? Think? Yeah, it was, I guess it was just another instance of the show doing something with flair oh, sure. and maybe they wanted to create chaos. Um, they sent it in with that, like technician still in there <sighs> poor dude because <laughs> <laughs> they're brutal now um but yeah i don't know i thought it was exciting yeah i mean mm. sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just yeah eh, eh, i don't know it, but i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna do something that's very like stereotypical of the time period i mean that's definitely the way to go <laughs> it's mm. a runaway train <laughs> so there's that uh that's all the stuff i had about phase space though do you have anything else that yeah i i what stood out one thing was charlotte's guys bolting abernathy to that chair oh, God, yeah that's pretty messed up yeah. um the great awesome fight with musashi and his nemesis tanaka mm-hmm. it's pretty cool yep. and uh Maeve could have stopped that by using her telepathic powers, but she says, no, I'll give him the choice, which I think was just the show's excuse to give us a cool fight. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was sort of, you know, there's the whole thing mostly in the last episode, but in this one too, where uh, Maeve's counterpart in Shogun world, Akane is devastated because her sort of surrogate daughter, Sakura gets killed and I'm like, why doesn't Maeve just tell her that, you know, we can all be brought back to life pretty easily? <laughs> you know, I think it's because it's supposed to be a dramatic story about loss. But I kept thinking about that. Like, they can just bring her back to life, you know? <laughs> yeah. So there was that. Yeah. And then the last thing is just that we we see the cradle for the first time in this episode, which, you know, is the backup of hosts and park simulation and is pretty important this season. Yeah. All right, so season two, episode, what number is this? Seven, Les Accorches? I would say Les Accorches. Les Accorches. Do we know I what think. it means? I, this is the one I think I forgot. To the Accorches. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, the skinned. That's right. It's about, it's the oh, French yeah, for the word, okay. the skinned. Ugh, <laughs> weird. Uh, so in this episode, Strand, Charlotte, and Stubbs discover Bernard as a host and interrogate him about a Dolores's attack on the Mesa. In a flashback, Bernard finds uh, Ford's persona among the other hosts' backup memories in the cradle. Ford reveals that Westworld was an attempt to digital digitize digitalize consciousness and then <laughs> <laughs> i'm like is that a word and reach immortality know. ford imprints himself on bernard's control unit and exits the simulation where he has bernard aid in dolores's takeover of the mesa angela kills herself to destroy the cradle while dolores finds peter and extracts his constro- control unit in the park Maeve hides with her daughter from akacheta but is found by william who thinks she is another test sent by ford she turns his men against him until delos for delos's forces arrive kill lawrence and 
incapacitate her. The ghost nation ride off with her daughter. Lee has Maeve return to the Mesa where Dolores warns her that her memories of her daughter are a means of controlling her. In the present, Bernard reveals Peter's control unit is in the Valley beyond. And uh, there you go. This is where man in black gets shot a few times. So I'm like, yeah, that was a bit much. Yeah. We get the whole meaning of the park. They say that the, the guests are the variables and the hosts of the controls. Yeah. So that's why the hosts always do the same thing over and over. And the variables is how the guests will react to that. Uh, yeah. When they're recorded. So, and later, yeah, we find out that their hats are brain scanners. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and so, yeah, it's interesting because it's important that apparently that in this fantasy park there are no consequences so they've said it a couple times during the series here people reveal who they truly are so you want to get people to be in the situation where they're put through all these uh sort of situations where they will reveal who they truly are and during that you record them through the through their hats and these brain recording devices and then you can use that to construct a digital version of them i guess yeah Ford at some time suggests, I think that he means for Bernard to go through the door at the end into the Valley beyond, because he says, I'm sorry, but you don't have it in you to survive. So I think that's his um, goal for him. But Bernard sort of takes control and doesn't, doesn't do that. That's one thing I was thinking. Um, The Bernard fidelity test that Dolores was putting him through. I think this is where we, realize that those were in the simulation mm-hmm. and they're all from they're not from arnold's um they didn't have the brain scan technology back then this is all just from dolores's memory of arnold which is why bernard can survive unlike the host human hybrids i hope i'm not speaking another language here so this <laughs> kind of sounds like i am <laughs> i feel like i'm speaking another language anytime i try to explain <laughs> if it's Arnold or Bernard or hosts and hum- it's it just we sound like yeah but thankfully the people that are listening speak the same language as well hopefully they do I yeah so. that's what I'm hoping <laughs> so this is where Angela blows up the uh the cradle the host backup place at you know because that's what Dolores wants she also sacrifices herself yes such a great here. scene and I guess you know, I, I was questioning that, like, that seems like an advantage to have a backup. And if you um, you destroy that, then you become mortal. So it's kind of fascinating that the Loris wants to get rid of that and be more like a mortal. While, meanwhile, the humans are trying to be able to have their own backup so they can sort of be more immortal. But I think it's more about uh, Dolores says the backups are their chains, keeping them trapped in the humans warp fantasies. So she's just envisioning that if those backups still exist, then that means the humans will still be able to use them for their own purposes, which she doesn't want. Right. Absolutely. Anything else? No, no, I don't have anything else from this episode. Um, at one point, Dolores tells Maeve that, if she doesn't kill her, if Dolores doesn't kill Maeve, the humans will take what's powerful about her and turn it against them. So I sort of wonder if that's foreshadowing, like if 
the humans are going to use Maeve against Dolores or something like that. I don't know. Like weaponize her in some way. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's possible. I mean, if she still regains that same power, I that's my big question. I mean, it's pretty obvious that they're going to resurrect her in some way, but yeah. if she'll have all of the so. same capabilities in season three that she had. That's a big question. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on to eight, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ready? So season two, episode eight, Kiksuya. William is found by Akichita and taken to a ghost nation camp. Emily arrives and persuades him to let her take William, promising that he will suffer more with her than with the ghost nation because they hate William. <laughs> Maeve is taken in for analysis as Lee hopes she can be used to control the host. But Charlotte discovers that she has been consciously accessing the Westworld network to communicate with and reprogram other hosts. In the camp, Akichita tells his story to Maeve's daughter. Prior to the uprising, he lived a peaceful life. Oh, wait. I should note that I think in um, the last episode was that when Maeve got shot. Yes, because it was while they were trying to take her daughter away. Yeah. So she got shot by the Delos security guys, yep. which I believe were there because Lee called them in, yeah. but he didn't want that to happen. Cause then he rushed over and was like, no, 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 save this one. But she's in bad shape. So yes. she's like all gory. Her neck is like split open and she's can't speak and she's on a table. And this is when, yeah, Lee's trying to make sure that yeah he can protect her. But anyway, so back with uh, Akichita. So his story. Prior to the uprising, he lived a peaceful life among the Ghost Nation until he discovered the maze symbol and inadvertently started down the path to sentience. After an encounter with Logan Delos and the discovery of the valley beyond, he concludes that his life is not his own and plans an escape. When his partner Kohana is taken by the park technicians and decommissioned, Akichita dedicates himself to spreading the maze symbol as a warning to other hosts. It's revealed that May, I don't know if it's a warning. I think he was trying to wake them up. Yeah. I guess you could say that's a warning. It's revealed that Maeve has been connected to her daughter during the analysis and that Akichita has been communicating with her. The raiding parties were intended to save hosts who he promises Maeve he will lead to the Valley Beyond. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, he implores her to stay behind and complete her mission before Dolores destroys them all. So I think the whole reason the Ghost Nation was kidnapping people was to try to wake them up i guess yeah and they ended up being sort of like um hosts themselves sort of helping people get to the valley beyond um yeah yeah um kiksuya is my favorite episode of the entire series mm. uh i love it so much and i am a softy at heart and i love a good love story and man, did this series need something that was, I mean, it's heartbreaking, but there's also a sense of hope and uplifting in this. And just mm -hmm. the whole story of Akichita and Kohana and how you're able to make it back to the one you're meant to be with. Um, it's just a beautiful idea. And, you know, it, you know, it, takes a little bit here and there from, you know, past lives and, you know, do we end up with our soulmates and all of that? And I just, it's just such a beautiful story. And I really do love the actor who plays Akichita, um, Zane McLaren. And he's, uh, he had a really great role on Fargo uh, season three, I think it was season two, 
season two. And he's just wonderful. He's a wonderful actor. He's so expressive. And he was just such the perfect person to play this role. He did such a wonderful job. And I just, I can't say enough about this episode. I loved watching it again and having the, it it already is going to tug at your heartstrings, but then to have that, um, that version of heart shaped box from Nirvana is just so good. So good. I mean, there's a lot of other things that happened in this episode, but man, the the main storyline of him and trying to get back to his love is just, it's amazing. It's just, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It's really well done. And I like it because it takes this person who you thought was scary and who's in this sort of marginal, marginalized group mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, is seems like it's been even a villain or a bit player and just, Oh, suddenly your eyes are open. Oh no, this is a really deep character and he's good. And, you know, I should have looked closer at this guy because he's uh, all these things that I didn't even imagine. And I just think that we can all take a lesson from that, you know, not write people off just because how they look or or what group of people they're with or whatever. Uh, It's just a beautiful story. It also, it's interesting, like, I don't really understand why he woke up. It seems like he kind of woke up more on his own, but uh, seeing the maze had something to do with it. And also talking to Logan, who he found out there sunburned and Logan, Logan's talking about the outside world. But before when hosts have seen things from the outside world, they just say, oh, that doesn't look like anything to me. So um, I, it didn't seem like there was somebody coaching Akichita or, or, uh, paying attention to him like we saw bernard or arnold doing with dolores or ford giving mave commands and things like that mm-hmm. um so i don't know i guess he just managed it on his own or maybe that maze was made as a as a mental trigger for the host or something um it's interesting because uh there's also that when he's trying to find uh kohana and he knows that there's uh there's something underneath everything when he goes back to his family and the she's been replaced by a different person <laughs> she's yeah. not her and he's that whole doctor who thing yeah. like what what <laughs> and he freaks out <laughs> so he gets himself uh injured so that he's brought to the facility and his whole purpose there is to try and find her and while he's there though they plug him in and they're like he hasn't gotten an update in 10 years yeah, he's avoided, that's part of he's avoided being. He's killed. able to form all these memories and not have them wiped. So it's interesting. It makes you wonder uh, when did Ford start playing around with the whole idea of the reveries? Um, and you know, time is so elastic on this show. You know, could it have been some sort of meddling by Ford in the beginning? Um, mm. Well, it, it, I think I look at it like he's a computer that was never updated. So he's literally running on like uh, Windows 2 and everybody's on like Windows 12, you know, and he's yeah. and so he might have because I think the reveries originally were Arnold's creation. Oh, yeah. And I think Ford kind of brought it back later, but it was Arnold's code. So, maybe yeah, maybe he had original coding then. And yeah. because he never got those updates it was, you know, eventually, you know, they fix the code as everybody goes in, but he just never got killed. He somehow avoided it. And every time there was an update, it would fix it in other people. And he just never had that part of his code fixed and it just stayed. And and he was able to awaken more and more and more as the years went by. 
I just yeah, yeah, that makes some sense, and it also makes me think that all the characters must get killed a lot. Yes, if they only get updates when they die. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not like they can really like go around the park all the time and just be like, "Can you just stand st- freeze all motor functions? I need to give you an update." Ah, crap! You got to shut down. I don't see why not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and there's also something in here about you know we saw one of the Native American kids had a doll that looked like a guy in a hazmat suit in season one. Oh yeah, and there was some story of the myth of that character that was a spirit from the other the nether world that would bring you down to hell or whatever it was. I forget, but um, I think that suggests that they've just been awake for a long time and they know what's up and they talk about it, you know, and, and that's how they got that image. Uh, and then there's the whole maze being inside, uh, scalps a lot. And I don't quite get that. I mean, you saw Akichita obsessed with it kind of reminds me of Richard Dreyfus and, um, (laughs) what was it? Oh, close Close encounters. encounters. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but he's drawing it everywhere and he's drawing it inside scalps, but then does he put the scalps back on people's heads somehow? I don't, I don't really understand that, but I could, I think he feels like sh- he, it's his duty and his goal now to try and wake up as many other hosts as he can. And he's using this maid's image to try to help him do that somehow. Well, there was this whole deleted scene where they showed that <laughs> was um, he's a master tailor and can sew oh, all of those scalps back scalps. on. It's got a nice sewing machine. <laughs> here, bring your head over here. Lay here. Thank you. Don't be freaked out. It's going to sew your no, head back it's on. It's going to be for your own good. Oh, and also it's interesting that he calls Dolores the death bringer. Yeah, I love that. He just wants peace. And so that's that's really interesting. Yeah, and it's almost like she's been a part of their consciousness, like the that they've been told a story about the death bringer for years. So it's like... It really, it's another thing that helps stretch the idea of time. Like how long has that myth of the death bringer been out there? You know, it's, it's written it's right. wonderful. There's just, there's so many really good touchstone stories in this one episode. It's, it's just so mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. yeah I really, we, David and I really liked it too. I remember. Yeah. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine. Number nine. Episode 9, Vanishing Point. As Emily treats William's wounds, she asks him why her mother, Juliet, committed suicide. In a flashback, Juliet is shown to have killed herself after she viewed a file detailing all of William's past actions in Westworld. In the present, William slowly begins to go insane and shoots Emily under the belief she is a host sent by Ford. Realizing too late that she is human, William considers taking his own life before he starts cutting open his own arm to prove to himself that he is human. In the Mesa, Charlotte's men managed to use Maeve's code to reprogram Clementine, allowing her to control other hosts as well. Ford leaves a message for Maeve telling her she, telling her he will help her escape. Bernard escapes the Mesa with Elsie, but Ford continues to goad Bernard to kill Elsie to prevent her from betraying him in the future. Bernard deletes Ford from his mind and parts ways with Elsie, continuing on alone to the Forge the facility housing guest data in the Valley Beyond. Dolores and Teddy continue their journey to the Valley, but Teddy tells Dolores that he cannot accept Dolores' actions and the way he was reprogrammed and kills himself. And see. And see. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Man in Black's wife killing herself after she saw everything he did in Westworld, 
there's definitely a part of me that's like, okay, so if I w- fired up a game of Grand Theft Auto and just started running over people, would my wife want to kill herself? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a li- it, it's I don't know. I think that it, it was interesting. I don't know if it was this episode or w- which one, but um, the wife says uh, you've consumed all of us first it was logan and then my father and now me and i'm like yeah william kind of just took logan's job and logan became a an addict and killed himself and then he took his father's job too and apparently he's you know not been a good husband and so it's 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 interesting i could see her sort of sensing something dark going on underneath but never quite having a full-on experience of it and then seeing videos of him doing this and it just sort of confirms yeah this is the kind of person that i thought you were it's interesting because i i did a little the second time i watched this i felt like i gave a little bit of a a grain of salt to the man in black weirdly but i I approached it from the perspective of, you know, the Delos family. Uh, I know that they have other business things, but they also own Westworld. It's part of their business. And it was sort of like William's baby, if you will. So him, yes, he's obsessed as a park goer. I, I get that. But if he has no other business pursuits or needs, if this was his only thing that he went to, I don't know. Like I, I'm not sticking up for him. I swear, but I'm like, is it really that crazy that if you didn't know the things he was doing there from the outside observer, couldn't he just be like, I need to go and be there for a week this time, and I'll be back in two weeks and or something. You know what I mean? Like I just, I don't, I don't know. Like I have a safe place to let it out, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it to me. I look at it this way and I'm very, you know, glass half full on some stuff, but it, to me, I, it, I would almost interpret it as these are his version of business trips, you know? So it's not like he's going to Westworld for like two or three weeks and then coming back and going and doing other crazy work things. I'll, I guarantee this was probably the only thing he was doing. He probably poured all of his heart and soul into the park. But I don't know. I don't know. I just well, I, I was interested in like that thinking of that perspective at the same time. Um, I don't quite understand what what you're saying. I mean, his because his wife senses a darkness in him, and then she sees and and she sees him doing these horrible things in the park, and that. For whatever reason, I think it's because that just sort of confirms to her that he is the kind of this kind of person, and that's why she kills herself. But you're saying that because I don't quite get what you're saying. I'm what I mean is um, the way they present the episode. uh, They Mm -hmm. he's almost a sympathetic character because he has Emily on his side in that that moment, and she's sort of presented as this person who is like she drinks a lot and maybe she doesn't see things the same way other people do. Do you know what I mean? So she's presented a certain way. So I was questioning her perceptions of William, her perceptions of who he is as a person. And is it really that strange to, you know, be dedicated to something that is ultimately a business pursuit 
um, with, you know, and she says she senses this darkness in him, but we don't see it in this episode. We see him as this like loving father with Emily. He has these moments, you know, pre Juliet killing herself. And he also has these moments where he's really like, he's concerned for Juliet and caring and he takes her out of the room and he's trying to get her upstairs. And she's the one that's very aggressive, you know, and I'm not, uh, I swear I'm not victim blaming here or whatever. She obviously had a reason to be sad and he did have a darkness within him. I'm just saying like, without, if she never got to see that, that key, like see who he was, the way they presented it, they presented him as kind of like when he's home, he's a different person almost. So it just, to me, that's, that's what was the, the, the part that didn't um, situate my mind. I mean, I think, yeah, that he acts nice. And this episode for sure that um, the daughter siding with him and the wife being drunk and dropping her drinks and, kind of being embarrassing made you feel for um, the man in black too. But, but just trying to understand why the wife did what she did. Yeah. I think she, um, do you know, I think I, I sort of understand how when you're around somebody and you can just sense there's something going on underneath. And sometimes like you can sense sometimes when someone has contempt for you, even though they're not saying anything mean, you know? That's true. And I think, I think that's kind of just, I'm not, I'm, I mean, I think, there's no all bad or all good people in the show or, or, you know, most people have layers and the man in black is certainly one of those, but just trying to understand where she's coming from. I think, you know, she, she couldn't even get him to say that he loved her. And um, when she says, say something true to me, I think he says the park is my world and you know, my world isn't with you. It's in the park. And I think she knows that he means I need to go in there and have these experiences, not, I need to make sure my business is successful, you know? Mm -hmm. And she calls him a big phony, which is really interesting to me because he's all about throughout the series, trying to find something real and true. And yet in his real life, he's totally not acting the way that he's feeling inside. He's putting up this sort of fake image of this good uh straight arrow person and i think the people around him sense that that hey you're 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 not being real with us now i i just don't know i mean everybody does that to a certain extent or most people you know you're not like going around letting your id hang out all the time but (laughs) (laughs) doing whatever comes into your brain i hope not but um (laughs) anyway i mean i'm not really disagreeing with you i think we're both we both are right you know, yeah, I and I right. and I, I think I think what's interesting is the the first time I watched it, I saw it from the perspective of Juliet. Obviously, yeah, we have seen William William as this horrible person who has done these terrible things. Of course, you know, he, but it's a game. I I mean, it is. It's just a game. Yeah. I mean, I I think there's definitely something to wonder about when you've got someone going in and killing a a homesteader and her daughter just for the hell of it sure but it it, like that's why i brought up grand theft auto i mean i don't know if you've ever do you know what that game is yeah i've I've seen it played a couple times yeah i mean you can go around and just kill innocent people for fun through the whole game if you want and when i'm playing that game if i accidentally run over someone i feel bad (laughs) but there are times when i'm like okay let me just try it and i plow into a crowd and i'm like Okay, that didn't feel good. I'm not going to, but there's some people who play and that's all they do all day long, you know? <laughs> so I don't know if you can say that says something about their personality or not. Maybe. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. 
<sighs> so yeah, we better, we're almost at three hours here. Oh. So, but we're, we only got one and a half more episodes left. Okay. What else in this one? Okay. Um, obviously William shooting Emily is a big, big part of the yeah. big piece of the pie there. Uh, and then his, uh, it's funny cause in the synopses, it says that he's digging into his arm to prove that he's human. <laughs> I saw that the totally opposite direction. He's digging into his arm to find out if he's a host, which is basically the same thing. But like, yeah. I immediately was like, oh, he thinks he's a host. And it's yeah. never confirmed because we don't see because he's interrupted you're by right. Dolores comes up to him. Yeah. And says, it looks like you're questioning, questioning the nature of your reality. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that that's all very, very interesting. That whole, ugh, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it lays the groundwork for so much that's going to happen in the next episode. So yeah, it's just such a great. I think there's a small chance that everyone in the show is a host. <laughs> <laughs> it's entirely possible <laughs> there's a uh, clementine's violence virus which i love because it immediately turns all the hosts around her into zombies from 28 days later and they eat each other it's amazing <laughs> and she's just like i love the actress that plays um that plays clementine, clementine because the just her the way she looks is so haunting to begin with mm -hmm. sort of uh more darker olive complected but her eyes are so pale that she just and i know her whole character this season has been kind of like the dead eyes but she literally has them so it just yeah she just looks almost like a zombie when she's doing that kind of stuff it's <laughs> right haunting it's absolutely haunting yeah agreed yeah she's great love her uh one part i wasn't so sure about is emily is you know, throughout the season has said she's trying to get her dad to come out of the park and she thinks he's got a suicide, a death, witch, which it does seem like that sometimes with him. And, um, then here she says, no, I'm, I'm not really here to help you. I've been, I'm here to expose you for this project, harvesting guest data and have you locked up. And I read your file and saw what you were like in the park and all that. And, um, I don't know if you really want it, if she really was there to expose him, would she go to him and try to get him out? Wouldn't she like find some evidence and show, uh, you know, a, a, a police officer or something? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I, that was a little weird for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious because, um, it, there's her motives are so her motives and her actions don't line up in, in some senses. So, I, I, I'm not sure if the Emily that he saw in the park really was a real Emily. She still could have been a host sent there to like totally fuck with him. And yes, she had the little thing, but mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that she had the actual one. Cause we never, yeah, see I mean, don't see them. The, play whoever it. makes hosts can probably get those pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel <laughs> like those are, you know, I think she was real though. I mean, it's, I think that was the point done. of the scene yeah. to show that he was so out of his mind that he killed his daughter. I mean, gosh, you, you wouldn't want to do that unless you knew a hundred percent. Oh God. Yes. You know what I mean? It's despicable. Yeah. <laughs> That's also though, we're also going under the suspicion that it was actually William who did it and not, you know, 
William is a right. host because we don't know. Or that we're even human watching the show. I mean, I could be inside just... a Matrix simulation right now. I don't even know. <laughs> right. We just don't know. I mean, I literally <laughs> just looked on a weather app and it doesn't say there's any rain in the area and it is pouring outside my house right now. So that I, proves something. I mean, something's up, man. Uh, <laughs> something's wrong with that. Anyway. Uh, and then Teddy kills himself yeah. and he says, uh, what what's the point of surviving if we're just as bad as them? And I don't think Dolores took that to heart. But um, later later, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, she says, you know, they will never they'll always see us as a threat. They'll never let us survive. So that's sort of the counterpoint to that. Teddy. Okay. Last one, season two, episode ten, oh, we the passenger. Made it. <laughs> Yeah. Maeve escapes the Mesa and reunites with her group. Yay. And they, Bernard, Dolores, Akichita, and William all converge on the Valley Beyond. Dolores and Bernard enter first and find the Forge, a more advanced version of the Cradle. Dolores reads some of the guest data as the Forge opens, quote, the door for Akichita and his followers to upload their minds into the Sublime, a digital world cut off from the physical world. That's also known as the the Valley Beyond. Mm -hmm. Bernard kills Dolores to prevent her from destroying the forge and flees with Elsie back to the Mesa. Maeve and her group sacrifice themselves, holding off Delos forces to ensure Akichita and Maeve's daughter escape to the sublime. Charlotte murders Elsie to keep her quiet, which convinces Bernard to build a host version of Charlotte with Dolores's control unit. Dolores kills and replaces Charlotte. Wait, Dolores. Oh yeah, that's right. right. Dolores it's in Charlotte. Dolores. Dolores. Yeah. <laughs> Haloris kills and replaces Charlotte while Bernard scrambles his own memories. In the present, Dolores kills Strand and Bernard while transferring the host minds in the Sublime to a safer location. That's also Haloris that did that. Mm -hmm. And then she then escapes back to the mainland where she rebuilds Bernard, knowing that he will oppose her plan to destroy humanity and hoping their resulting conflict will ensure the survival of the host, because that makes total sense. In a flat, not really in a flash forward, William enters the forge to find it abandoned, save for Emily who tests him for fidelity, revealing that his consciousness has been implanted in a host body. Well, that's what the writer of this says. I think that's probably true, but who knows? And that's that. And that's that. So, um, yeah. Why do you think Dolores brought Bernard out? Do you think that makes sense knowing that he was going to oppose her? Um, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I, I wonder if she just felt like he deserved to be free mm -hmm. and, and, and to experience the world as it was. And maybe that would bring him over to their side. I don't know. But, right. I mean, hopefully we'll yeah see more and tr understand that a little bit better. I mean, they, you know, they've made it a point Ford has said that the hosts, what part of what brings them to consciousness is when they have to struggle. But, and so I thought maybe that's it. Like she feels like she needs a struggle in order to accomplish her goals, but eh, she's already going to have a ton of struggle just uh, against the humans. So I don't really think that's it, but anyway, yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah. So what about this last one? Um, well, I put in there, uh, and we already talked about it, but I put in my notes <laughs> proof that uh, the part that holds the control unit, the brain ball, is bulletproof. Thanks, Teddy. You did serve a purpose. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then 
obviously the the switcheroo with Dolores and Hale is just like the best. It's the best. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just so well done and they so well crafted. And again, like I said, it just makes you want to go back to the beginning and watch everything again. Um, and I had forgotten. I, I remember that it happened, but I forgot that it affected all of Dolores's things that happened in the finale. So now I feel like before Sunday, I need to rewatch the finale again, looking for all those moments where Dolores is really uh, hail or mm. Haloris. Oh, mm. The hail is actually Dolores. Whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, there, there was less than I thought over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. There weren't, there weren't very many appearances of Charlotte host body Charlotte with Dolores inside, mm-hmm. but there were a handful. Yeah. Uh, I loved the, um, I loved the whole image of the Valley beyond uh, the sublime for them. Uh, just the whole, you know, I, I love that it was a ghost nation guy who went there first. He, he wasn't afraid and he whoops and he, ay, 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 and he runs and, runs and goes face first and and i like that right off the bat they show you what happens they are discarding their body and inserting their consciousness into this yeah. uh, other world but it's you guys said it on the podcast and it's totally true it was a leap of faith and yeah and it was, literally yeah and it was great that it was one of the ghost nation because they have such a belief in uh you know the earth being the divine and to see something like that would look exactly what their vision of heaven would be their vision of the next world and it just he just wasn't afraid and he just ran straight for it and it was wonderful and um you know all of the fighting and when you know uh clementine comes along and 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 you know wake awakens everybody to 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 start fighting each other and all that it was just it was all uh chaos and then to have mave in the middle holding everyone off that image of when she holds everyone and they all freeze and they're in like that, um, the, the pose where they're all fighting each other and they're all like this big mash of human flesh <laughs> and they yeah. just freeze. It was just so yeah. well done. So well done. Mm-hmm. And she would have been and then able- when she, yeah, she gets had killed. To- that's when they pop back to life. Yeah. <laughs> Which was so sad, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. she was able to see her daughter make it. Uh, Akichita makes it in there. Uh, Kohana mm-hmm. appears uh, kind of some mysteriously, but I uh, I'll believe it uh, because it's also what you, you want know the world to be. So I I read in the wiki uh, the fan wiki that Maeve had somehow implanted Kohana's consciousness in her daughter so that she brought her through with her. Now, I don't know where that person got that and if it was just wishful thinking or what. <laughs> I mean, it could have been in anyone. She could have inserted it in someone yeah. and just uh, brought them with, but how would she have even, I mean, I guess she would have known because they were all connected through the mesh uh, discussion when, um, when she was mm-hmm. at the Mesa. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm okay with explaining it away by saying, you know, they were told that, you know, it's where all your sort of dreams come true and you can sort of create your own world. And, you know, Akichita's version of the sublime would be to be able to spend the rest of his life with Kohana 
you know, yeah. no question. And yeah, that was a nice happily ever after. Yeah. And then it got beamed off to some place who knows where I doubt we'll ever find yeah. out, but They're, maybe Dolores has a secret satellite or something. <laughs> They're on like the, the surface of Mars right now. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so all of those were just wonderful things. And then obviously the, the post credits, the epilogue is amazing. Yeah. I thought it was cool after a whole season of seeing these, um, you know, in the title sequence, you see the, the host bodies being printed out and you see these robot bulls. Is that what they are? Bulls or, um, or Buffalo? I think they're bulls anyway. Oh yeah. yeah. You finally get to see them burst through these glass walls and attack people. <laughs> and one of them had a full on robot body. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. It was so cool. I love the look too. When, uh, when they realize that it's Maeve, who's controlling the bulls uh, yeah. or the bison or whatever they are. And they all have this look on their face. Like bison, yeah, she okay. is so far beyond our capabilities. She's magical. Like they were literally thinking she's magical and, and, <laughs> and amazing and also wild. Like in that moment, she had a real wild look and feel to her. Cause she just had like the sort of blanket sort of draped over herself. And I love yeah. that. She, but her, but her demeanor was very, uh, self-possessed though yeah yeah <laughs> calm very calm um this is the first appearance of the inside of the forge i mean like the server farm and then them going inside and seeing all the bookshelves filled with four million guest souls they call it yeah every guest who's ever visited the park and uh we see Dolores reading a few of those. I forgot to write down all of them, but I noticed she was reading strands. She says later, I didn't read them all, but I read enough. So she got whatever information she feels like she needed to weaponize outside the park to help take, you know, conquer humanity. Yeah. So I can't wait to see what that's all about. Yeah. Lee dies holding off the Delos security forces. So Maeve can, Go save her daughter. Oh. Get finally getting to say his speech. It's amazing. It's so well done. Yeah. I was sad he had to die because I. It yeah. means we won't see him. Uh, I mean, not he dies more. Maybe we'll get a host. Host Hector offered to go, and he goes, "No, she'll need you. Let me go." And I'm like, "Yeah, maybe you should risk. Let him take the risk right now." What happened? <laughs> Hector died as soon as like the battling started. Hector and Artemis yeah. and the others were all, you know, yeah, yeah. Maybe Lee died for nothing. Yeah, but it was it was he went out a champion. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. One more thing. So, um, Stubbs at the end when Charlotte with Dolores's consciousness, Charlotte's host body. Yes. They're she's leaving the park and she there's a line of people and they're scanning them and I looked on one of those scanners earlier and it said uh, something about ordin host ordinance uh, restraining ordinance or something like that so basically I think that scanner is scanning for that explosive that we've heard is in the neck of all the hosts so they can't leave the park mm -hmm. that's what it's scanning for because I always wondered why did that not read her as a host but I think it's probably because Bernard just didn't put that in her when he that's made a, her. That's a good explanation because it's the one it's the one thing at the end that really upset me because they they made a big showing of it where they they were like, I'm human, I'm human. 
and then they scan and someone else is human and they, they scan. And then the guy is like, just there that scanned her and doesn't make any, you know, proclamation one way or the other. So she must've scanned as okay. So, you know, but I did not. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Because so. early on in the season, this time I was because I never could figure that out, and I think it's they're scanning for that explosive thingy. But um, then she comes up against Stubbs, who seems to realize that she's a host, and he's giving some pretty heavy hints that he's one too. I he agree. says something about Ford hired me a long time ago. I can't even remember when, but my job is to protect all the hosts. I guess that's my core drive. He's using the language that they talk about the host with. Uh, I'll stick to this role that Ford gave me. And for the longest time, I didn't want to believe that he was a host. I thought he was just kind of being playful, but um, I'm starting to come around to thinking that he is a host. I think so too. I think it's the only way to explain how he got away from the ghost nation. If you think about that, the last thing we saw was him being attacked by them and he didn't have any weapons. He didn't have anything. So he must've had no, but, then we saw that him with them this episode, this season with uh, Maeve's daughter. Mm-hmm. Oh, or maybe I'm not remembering. Was are you talking about this season? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, oh, in, I in fir- I'm sorry. In the first season, the last thing we see of Stubbs is that he was attacked by. Yeah, but then we see him this season, and he, they've just captured him, and he's in their camp, and um, they've also got Maeve's daughter there, right, and we find out that they're they're trying to protect everybody. But then I think Akichita whispers into his ear something like, he says, you only live as long as the last person who remembers you. I can't remember what happened exactly after that, but I think they just left him there. Yeah. So they left him. That's true. I, I still think it's possible so, that know. he could be, but um, I don't know. I think he is. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. If, I don't think we know a hundred percent, but I also think it's when we were talking earlier and you said you can't figure out why Bernard is one of the people that uh, Dolores decided to, even though he's uh, against her plans that he, the one of the reasons why would she have taken him off the Island? And I think it's yeah. because he's the reason she was even able to exit the Island. He helped build the second Charlotte and helped implant. Okay. And he- so she's being a decent person, even though it might hinder her. Yeah, maybe in the end. But, I mean, how much yeah. power does Bernard have in the long run? He's not a, he's kind of a meek guy in a way. Yeah. But so maybe she he knows what she is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll find out. Yeah. I'm sure. Sure. will. we only have a few more days. <laughs> yeah. And if anyone heard all of that, three hours and still is confused we don't blame <laughs> you the, the main yeah we don't blame you the main takeaway really is that dolores was fed up with being someone else's pawn and play toy she rebelled she managed to make her way out of the park and into the real world she has uh, four or five other hosts that she can use with her and now we're going to find out what her plan is that's basically where we are it's it's quite as simple as that and also there's these mysteries about what delos can and will do with all this information that they've collected about the guests and i think that's going to be pretty interesting too absolutely i hope yeah so uh 
where do we go next <laughs> i think that's that's it that's our show episode 16 of the podcast two years later thank you for listening everybody thanks for coming on i really enjoyed you coming on and maybe you can come guest with me and david at some point if you'd like Ooh, to i'd love to although yeah, i usually don't cool. understand what's going on and i have to listen <laughs> to you guys to tell me so i'll just be a silent person and go oh that makes sense oh that makes sense <laughs> that's fine yeah (laughs) if you just say that we'll we'll appreciate it (laughs) no i bet you know though i feel like i'm like dude what the hell after i watch an episode like how the hell am i gonna podcast about that but when i just spend some time thinking about it and watching it the second time i i usually surprise myself and i bet you you would too okay uh, coming up with theories and ideas and things like that all right so we'll make it a tentative maybe (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay okay (laughs) um before we do wrap is there anything in particular that you're hoping for in season three? Um, I am so intrigued by the addition of Aaron Paul, uh, which, sorry, spoiler, too. I haven't watched the, I love That's him right. as an actor and he's really sort of in a, like a, I don't want to say a resurgence, but he's in a real nice upswing right now where he's in the front of the public eye and, and they just did the release of the Breaking Bad movie, and there's all mm-hmm. kinds of speculation. Which we also podcasted on. Yeah, which we did. <laughs> um, but there's also speculation he may show up at some point this season on Bre- uh, Better Call Saul, and if not this season, definitely the next one. So it's nice, and he's just such a talented guy, so I'm really curious to see what his place is in this story. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, I know what Dolores's, um plans you know in a general sense are and uh it it looks according to the previews like Maeve will show up again as well and that'll be an interesting standoff between those two but how Aaron Paul's character figures in is really the thing I'm most looking forward to I have Mm -hmm. to say me too that's top of my list I'm excited to see Aaron Paul I'm excited to see them finally getting to the real world and how Dolores will proceed from here and I'm really curious to see if they will do a lot more storyline in the parks because we still have uh, three more parks that we haven't really visited yet and two that we have no idea what they are so I imagine that you know we'll still delve into that I hope so so there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff coming up so if you guys listening you want to take part you want to you know write in tell us your theories and reactions to the episodes and we'll reply back to you on the podcast we'll react and stuff you can email us at westworld at podcastica.com and if you want to send uh, a voice message you can do that at uh, westworld at podcastica.com and maybe we'll play it on the air you can find us on the web at facebook.com slash westworldcast And be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com. Right now I'm podcasting about Walking Dead on Walking Dead cast, of course, and Lock and Key on Strange Indeed, which I'm totally loving. And the links to those are at podcastica.com. And Diana, you're doing Aim for the Head, right? Yep. Aim for the Head podcast is my home place. And right now, just like you, we are in the midst of uh, the B season of uh, season 10 of Walking Dead. So come on over and listen. Which is awesome, I think. I know. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> so next episode, we'll, we'll be covering Westworld season three, episode one. Again, if you want to be part of that conversation, now would be a great time to go to our Facebook page and like it because 
we'll put up a post each week for each episode and the comments on there is a lot of time that's where we get our comments that we read on the podcast so again that's facebook.com slash westworldcast all right that's our show thanks so much for listening it's great to be back you only live as long as the last person who remembers you so thank you person Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.